Back and getting set for a big time lightweight main event. Fazeev taking on Gamrot in one of those cards that you have to catch. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, so we always say, let's, let's get into it. it. And we are back with Fight Night Picks and getting set for another Apex card. It's Fazeev taking on Gamrot in the main event. As always, one half of your host, you know, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram. At Craig Allen FNP with me to my left. It is the boss, Brian Bosworth at Matt same. Allen FNP. You got no blonde streak like Bosworth or Charlie I Campbell. Can that in, maybe. In your hair. But when we do look at this card, Matt, I mean, it is a very top-heavy card. You have six versus seven in that main event. Lightweight marquee on the line. Fazeev wasn't able to get it done his last time out against Justin Gaethje a great fight in that one a fight of the night and for Mataj Gamrot he squeaked by taking on Jalen Turner co-main event another big time fight and when we're talking about rankings on the line Bryce Mitchell taking on Dan Ige in the featherweight division and rounding it out with all the ranked fighters a rematch of a 2021 main event that one on short notice at flyweight this one scheduled at 115 it's Marina Rodriguez taking on Michelle Watterson Gomez Matt on this card Five fighters coming in on three fight losing streaks. Watterson Gomez is one of those fighters. We also have two ultimate fighter winners here in Mohamed Usman as well as Brian Battle on the card. Overall, only 11 total fights. Probably not one of those cards that's going to steal a lot of the headlines or sell a lot of tickets. But, you know, there are some fights that people can get up about. I would liken this card to, like, a WWE payback. An Unforgiven, perhaps. You know, it's not one of the big four pay-per-views that you should want to catch up on. You know, the the Survivor Series, the Royal Rumbles, the WrestleManias, the SummerSlams. But there are other pay-per-view shows in the WWE, right? Just, they gotta throw a title fight at you every now and then. I think this is a pretty fun fight night card. I know it's a card that, like you said, has some fighters that might not necessarily be in the primes of their careers anymore. But look at Watterson Gomez versus Marina Rodriguez. The first time around, that was a really important fight for the division. And and honestly, like a year ago, that probably would have made a vented a show, for being honest. And even further down the card, like Tim Means, Andre Fialo, are they going to fight for the title anytime soon? No, probably not. One of them not. is going to get cut. But the great thing about that fight is those are two guys with really fun styles, very fan-friendly styles, and I think it's going to make for a phenomenal fight. Same thing, Argetta versus Johns. I just think there's a lot of fights that are kind of buried on this card that you might assume, okay, I can skip this one. I'll see what the family's doing on Saturday. We'll check out some other things. But you're going to regret it. Okay, you might not regret hanging out with your family, but you might... I regret it in terms of the reaction you see on social media because I think there's going to be a lot of great fights this week. We don't want to see you bust out like Joey Harrington did with the Lions and your Miami Dolphins, but make sure you tune in for this card. If there's any changes to the card, you can always find us here on YouTube at Fight Night Picks. Craig Allen FNP, Matt Allen FNP. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Battle in a bid between brand new Bantamweight Bruisers. Matt, we have Monster Montserrat Canejo making that UFC debut, taking on Brazilian Tractor Tratora. It is Timiris Vidal. And when you look at it for Montserrat Rendon, Matt, the monster that she is... Ooh, boy, what a doozy of a record. Already 5-0. She's already 34. She's already making a UFC debut. Do you sense a little bit of a trend here? The UFC is bringing in a lot of bantamweights. Yeah. I went down through the line. Jacqueline Cavalcanti saw her getting win not that long ago. You also have uh, Ravina Oliveira Moraes. She's going to be making a debut soon. And as soon as I saw that name jump off the page, I thought of Bubbles and Conky going, Ravina? But Ravina, she's going to be making UFC debut. You also have Daria 
Zelezhikova. Zelezhikova. But Those ultimately, you end up with a fight like this, Matt, with Montserrat Rendon, Tian, Timiris, Vidal. And going back down, doing the tape study for this fight, I was whelmed by both of these fighters. I'm wow. going to get that out of the gate right now. For Montserrat Rendon, already 34 years old, she hasn't fought in a meaningful amount of time. She was booked in a couple of fights earlier on this year against maybe lesser competition. I think that would be fair to say. Combined opponent record against Montserrat Rendon in this young career. 10-7. and seven. It's been pretty bad. And her last time out, she got a win over Brittany Cloudy. Somebody that fight fans recognize. Uh, Cloudy has a split decision loss to Aaron Blanchfield. A split decision loss to Haley Cowan, who ended up in the UFC as well. And in that Cowan fight, I mentioned it in her debut. I thought Cloudy had won two of those rounds. But going back and watching a lot of the Rendon tape, they're going to talk to you a lot about her Brazilian jiu-jitsu lineage. You're going to see that over there on her Instagram. She's coming out of Cancun, Mexico. Vacation destination, but she's training the martial arts there out of ECR Fight Center. And her husband, so it seems, is her coach at that uh, gym. So pretty cool stuff to see there out of Eduardo Cortez. But a brown belt in BJJ for Rendon. She's gotten that over the past couple of months. But Rendon, when I watch her fights, Matt, she might be billed as a jiu-jitsu fighter. But boy, I never see it. Never. And it would be nicer if we did see that side of her game because, again, if it was able to accompany the very aggressive striking that she normally does demonstrate, then I, I do think it would help her at least have a solid foundation. But you bring it up, and it's always something we'd normally touch on when you have these people making their debuts who aren't, you know, 24, 25 younger than 29 perhaps it is surprising to see Rendon being signed at this stage of her career and getting an opponent like Vidal who I understand might not be somebody who you project having the highest ceiling in the world for the Bantamweight division but still Vidal has looked decent in her UFC tenure she's a very physically strong fighter she has good submissions I think she definitely proved that her last time out a very physical striker when she's able to get into the pocket too I think this is a weird fight to make your debut on because I know Vidal's not a fighter who has a ton of fanfare she is very much getting her own hype train rolling right now but for Rendon uh, there are easier opponents out there to give you in your debut, is there not? I don't know. I mean, let's, let's throw it on over to a clip about uh, Tamaris Vidal from that debut. Well, you do consider this fight, and I mean, it is a weird one. So if we do consider it for Tamaris Vidal, she comes out of Team Brothers Nitroy. And I mean, listen, you can see her from the picture, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Brown Belt. She's competed in many, many tournaments. It is her specialty. And if you go down, you look at her overall career arc. That is for Vidal. She's fought a varying level of competition. I think that's a decent way to put it. There definitely are names that you do recognize. I mean, she was 1-0 taking on 9-3 Carol Hosa, who is ranked in this division at number 9 Pretty right now fight. in the UFC. She loses that fight by submission. That was the main event of MMA Brutus number 1 in 2019. So Vidal continues throughout her career. And did I recognize Vidal from that fight? No, I didn't. I thought, geez, I feel like I know this name. I feel like I watched her fight and watching tape here in the last couple of months. That's because a couple of fights ago, you had Tamaris Vidal take Taking on Eileen Perez at Samurai Fight House number two. And I showed you a picture of that fight on the screen when we were breaking down Perez versus Edgar because they fought on like the gym mats that I have in my basement. And in that fight, Perez beat her pillar to post. 
And then she landed a couple of illegal knees in the third round and lost because of those illegal knees. So out of that, Vidal becomes a Samurai Fighthouse Bantamweight champ. She takes on uh, Kalia Braga over with LFA. I thought it was Quilia the way it was spelt. They pronounced it a completely different way. But in that matchup, it was the boxing of Braga who actually has a true pro boxing fight coming up in the near future. The boxing of Braga, some of the kicks to Vidal, who obviously has the jiu-jitsu and you know her for that. She won that fight exactly. by heel hook. But if you do watch the nuts and bolts game of Tamaris Vidal, so for Vidal going into her debut, I thought she was chopped liver. I thought, okay, she at the time was six and one. She this. hadn't beaten anybody that was of any merit. She had that DQ win over Eileen Perez. And in that one, Perez is beating her pillar to post, but the illegal knees were what they were. And Vidal had an earlier loss to Carol Hosa, which is a little bit forgivable. And then she goes in there against Morona Pasquale. Three minutes and six seconds equal a performance of the night bonus. You saw the knee. She gets the win. But Pasquale went 0-3 in the UFC and didn't have a good run. So for Montserrat Rendon, again, I mentioned earlier on, she was due a couple of fights over with Invicta earlier on this year. One at the time against 5-4 and four, uh, Alexa Connors. You know Alexa Connors. And then she was supposed to face 3-2 and two, Maria Jose Favela, who just beat Lymphoma that trains over with Extreme Couture. And everybody That's says better. great things about Maria Jose Favela, but... That just goes to show you the level of competition that Rendon's been facing on the regional True. scene. It hasn't been all that good. And when we say she's billed as a jiu-jitsu player, she is. You see her competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments. You saw her with that loss against Juliana Miller, who ended up winning the Ultimate Fighter. But bare bones, when you look at both these women fight, for Vidal, really low hands. Oh my goodness. Not a lot of striking defense. Physically strong. For Montserrat Rendon, really high boxing guard, doesn't move her head off the center line, goes forward and backward in straight lines, chases her opponents, and doesn't win foot position battles. However, Rendon throws a nice jab that she'll double up she and does. triple up on. Rendon throws a lot more volume than Vidal, although when I say throws more volume, landing and throwing aren't the same thing. And that Marina Moreau's. And, and for Montserrat Rendon, one of the big things is double jab, overhand right or right straight. We've seen her drop fighters in the past. I went back, you go back, you watch the fight against Brittany Cloudy. I thought that Rendon had won a close first round. Cloudy won the second. Cloudy won the third. It's a split decision win for Montserrat Rendon. Her fight that she had against Claudia Zamora... That was with UFL number one, Montserrat Rendon on history. Team Rampage. So that was kind of wild. Frank Mir on the call. A lot of aging legends. A star-studded cast. I scored at 29-28 for Rendon, but it was a close fight against Zamora, who was a much smaller opponent, kind of really taking the fight to Rendon. You can go back. You can watch her fights over with Combate as well. Her fight against Christina Pettigrew. It was a split decision win for Rendon. I thought Rendon won the whole fight. Pettigrew was beaten up, and she held Pettigrew held her hands I was like this. Say, her striking defense and just good. walked her down. So Matt, overall, again, I hate to sound incredibly negative to start off a video. It's a fighter who's seven and one. It's a fighter who's five and zero. Oh. They're both made it to the UFC. Something I'm never gonna do in my entire life. Well, you're not but working towards it though, you know. When I'm getting down to it, Matt, this division sucks. Why yeah. does it? suck Craig because Chelsea Chandler came in fought at 140 beat Yulia Stolyarenko got ranked at Bantamweight lost at featherweight against Norma Dumont and mother Chelsea Chandler still the 15th ranked Bantamweight in the entire world so this division 
is a dumpster fire. And this is just one of those fights that's a part of the dumpster. And I feel like that's why they're signing a lot more talent. Just because a lot of the 135ers that we know and recognize, they're kind of aging out of the division. Amanda Nunes announced her retirement. Sarah McMahon's gone. Betch is not around anymore. Like, those are a lot of recognizable names. I can't believe I just mentioned Betch Cohea in a video. No more cats and gone. No more Anderson. But you get the idea. A lot of those top-ranked fighters are either aging out or in different organizations or whatever. They have other things going on. So there is a lack of talent at 135. And you bring it up. You don't even need to win a fight in this division and you can still get ranked in the division. Imagine if that happened at like welterweight. You know, you take a catch weight at 170 on like a week's notice. You somehow win and then you miraculously, you're ranked 14th and you fight Shavkat Rachmanov next. That's how that would work. It's not a fun time for anybody. But I gotta be honest, this is one of those fights where I'd initially looked at the odds before we started filming. I was really surprised to see them at first. But the more I thought about it, I do understand where they are just in terms of, I do think Vidal has more ways to win this fight. And I think that's why she is such a heavy favorite. I could see Vidal getting walked down and then she shoots for a panic takedown and gets knocked out by Rendon who has no finishes. But I think if she gets it to the ground, she will have success is the thing. That's the only And Vidal is one of those tricky grapplers to where if the fight does hit the mat and she's in a disadvantageous position, she's going to look for a Kimura sweep. She's going to look for a heel hook sweep or she's going to try and sink in those submissions as well. Vidal's a big favorite in this one. Again, performance bonus, albeit against Ramona Pasquale in the debut. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 75% Vidal. I'll say over. Fuck me. 680 total votes, 87% Vidal, 70% by decision. I I have Vidal. I don't know anymore. I, I, I... I don't know. I, yeah, I have Tamiris Vidal in this fight. I think she's going to be the physically stronger fighter, though I've seen really good takedown defense from Montserrat Grandon. She digs the underhook. She gets her hands clasped behind her opponent. She's able to control a lot of the clinch positions, and when Rendon's on her back, she is very busy herself with the up kicks. She's one of those fighters, kind of like you saw out of Grasso against Shevchenko. She's going to keep hitting off her back like Marina Rodriguez, who's upper on this card, but I will go with Vidal in this one, but I have zero confidence in it. It's just one of those fights where I think Vidal's going to win, but it's also fair to say I don't project an overly high ceiling for either one of these athletes. Like, you know what sentence has never been said by, like, Mike Breen on an NBA broadcast? This person's 34 years old and they're a rookie. It's never been said by Mike Breen. He says bang. He doesn't say 34-year-old rookie. I have Vidal in the match. Both of us going with Brazil's Tamiris Vidal out of Team Brothers Niteroy to get the win. Matt, some big-time fights in this card. Our guy, Beloy Quebec Canada's own. You got Charles Jordan taking on Ricardo Hamos. You're not going to want to miss that fight. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. This weekend, strawweights bottle it out, and if I had my way, Matt, I would just hit this. Uh, Guess what? I can't just say next on this one. I have to act like the top song on side A of the old MGMT classic record. Time to pretend, because time to pretend that I'm excited about this, Matt. We have a mononym fighting this weekend, just like Cher or Bono or Prince. It's Mizuki, and she's making a long-awaited return about three years, one month, and a day away from her loss to Amanda Lemos. Mizuki going to be taking on 24K, 24-carat magic in the air. What y'all trying to do? But when I do look at this fight, though, like for Mizuki, in a way, she was one of those fighters for the longest time that we had a lot of reverence for. She fought for an Invicta title. She was a deep jewels champ. She was a fighter 
then on the deep dive, it's one of those things where you fill up your brain over three years that you forget more than maybe you learn. But when you look at a fighter like Mizuki, at 17 years old, she fought a 29-year-old Ayaka Hamasaki, an all-time legend. At 18, Mizuki beat Beck Rawlings. At 20, she lost a fight of the year with Invicta by split decision to Karolina Kovalkiewicz and then followed that up also at 20 to lose a unanimous decision to your UFC flyweight champ Alexa Grasso in a fight of the night with Invicta. Mizuki, shoot fighting. She had wrestling in her back pocket. She had striking in her back pocket. Mizuki was one of the hottest prospects Deep back pocket. in all of MMA. From her time with Invicta, and then she ended up in 2018, she fought Vina Janjidoba, loses a split decision for the Invicta title, comes into the UFC, beats Viviani Pejia, beats Wu Yanan in a split decision, takes a little bit of time off, fights Lemos, is favored to beat Amanda Lemos. Exactly, which is crazy. And then if you do consider it, Matt, I had it written out. I said, well, the last time that Mizuki fought, she was at a Longo Weidman MMA. Aljamain Sterling was in the corner. This was back in 2020. But you go back, you watch the first round of that fight, she gets dropped by a right hand of Lemos, and Lemos pretty well had her way. In the majority of that fight, though, Mizuki threw a decent amount of volume. But Mizuki's one of those fighters where... If things are going well and she's winning these fights, she's pressuring, she's throwing a lot of volume, she's mixing it up to all three levels, she's a really good grappler. I can sell you a bit of bill of goods, but she's also been off for three years, and she's now 29, so she's still relatively young, but she's coming off an ACL injury after that Lamosh fight, and now it's been three years, so I don't know what we're going to get out of Mizuki. And then for Hannah Goldie, when she wins... Pours on the pressure, lands a lot of volume, works if, in her boxing. If I may, is it fair to say, though, I know it's been a long time since we have seen, in a way, active in competition in the ring, but Hannah Goldie seems to take a year and a half off in between performances. So, so for her, it's not like she's been the most active getting better throughout her career in the past three years. Yeah, Hannah Goldie lost to Jillian Robertson years ago on the regional scene. Built her way up, but in the UFC, Goldie won in three, loses to Miranda Granger, loses to Canadian... Romanian. Diana Belbizia beats Emily Whitmire, who was 4-4 four and four at yeah, the time exactly. by submission. And then it was a first-round performance of the night knockout loss to Molly McCann. Not this summer. The summer Last before summer, yeah. that. So for Hannah Goldie, long time trying to make the comeback. Goldie taking on Mizuki in this one. A little bit of a clash of styles because, like I said, like Hannah Goldie's going to try and work a lot of her boxing. She throws really good combinations in tight. You saw that against Diana Belbizia in that matchup. She'll try to wrestle, too. And when it does come down to this matchup, though, Matt, it is a ton of question marks. And that's why I would just say, next, like Jebediah Atkinson, and I just kind of take a breather on this Yeah, one. don't put your hard-earned money on this fight. It would make no sense whatsoever. They would hand a goldie, though, and the reason I brought it up is I initially was kind of turned off by the inactivity of Inoue, right? The ACL injury, it has been a long time since we've seen her inactive competition. Maybe this is the one fight where you pick against her to see how good she looks, and then you can get back on the horse if she time does out. have a good performance. I usually do that, and then I get the fight wrong. I usually go with the underdog in those, and then I get it wrong. And it's fair, though. Like, those are the times where you do want to paint the underdog, right? But there's so many question marks surrounding the favorite. But for Inoue, when I go back and look at the film, I do think she's going to have the edge in quite a few of her skill sets against Hannah Goldie. And I don't say that with any disrespect towards Goldie. But again, Goldie's also been quite inactive as of lately. And it's not like Miranda Granger's the greatest fighter in the world. I know she beat Emily Whitmire, but you brought it up before I could. Her, Spitfire. Her record was 500 going into that matchup. Like... 
Nine women have tried and five have succeeded. So guess what? Not that hard to do. So for Hannah Goldie, I know she has shown a good foundation of skill. She is a good fighter when she's able to move forward. But the same thing can be said for Inouye. And the difference is, I do think Mizuki can have success on the back foot. At least in terms of defending takedowns, being sound defensively, and being able to respond with her own offense when Goldie has run out and gone up against the cage. But for Hannah Goldie, I don't know if she's going to have those same techniques to respond to that adversity. If she is placed in those parts, and again, I was really concerned about that time off for Inouye, but once you look at it, Hannah Goldie's had like two fights in the same time that Inouye's been off of, and it's not like she's looked great in either one of those performances. And we'll see how Mizuki looks again, 11-2 and two as a teenager in kickboxing, more or less, and then of course a black belt in karate, and if you look at it for Mizuki as well, trains quite a bit with fellow Japanese prospect, and I'd say she's still a prospect, even though she was an Invicta champ, Kanako Murata. So when you do look at this matchup, Matt, Mizuki heavily favored here. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprised us there to you but i'm not surprised by anything anymore i think all the fans are going with mizuki because topology gets weird and wild i'm gonna say over under 82 and a half percent mizuki i'll say over son of a gun 721 total votes 89 percent mizuki 87 percent by decision i got mizuki in a way i have mizuki in a way as well i think the kicks are going to be a big difference maker and i think mizuki's wrestling can make a bit of a difference here Unless the knee, like, if she turns into Brandon Roy or Greg Oden all of a sudden, like, there are people who, when they have ACL injuries, they never become the same person again. But, like, the difference is with, like, Aaron Rodgers and a person who has a knee injury is there's a lot of ligaments in your knee, right? So if you tear your ACL, you can probably have an MCL issue, a PCL issue, a meniscus injury. There's other things that you can have uh, mess up with you. So for in a way, that knee was a major detriment to her and she's still having issues from it. But the thing is, it has been three years. So yeah, it's been three well, years. that's my point. So she has given herself the responsible amount of time off and hopefully she has been recovering towards this UFC return so I do have Inouye but those question marks are still there from the injury. Both of us going with Masuki Inouye to get the win let us know down below in the comment section who you have. If you get amped up for the fights guess what's up next? Muhammad Usman taking on Jake Collier. Check that one out keep locked in with Fight Night Picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it. Nine and two Ultimate Fighter season thirty winner Muhammad the Motor Usman taking on thirteen and nine former middleweight now two hundred sixty five point five pound heavyweight. It's the prototype Jake Collier, and if I had my way, Matt, guess oh, what? Yes! <laughs> I gotta do a bit. I'm sorry. You know Dana White on Friday night is gonna have a if you don't know now you know kind of fight. And guess what, guys? I'm here to let the cat out of the bag. The if you don't know now you know matchup of the weekend is gonna be Jake Collier versus Muhammad Usman. There's no question but in my mind. When it does come down to this fight, Matt, I mean this is a classic clash of styles. You look at both of these guys for Muhammad Usman. I could build him as a grappler. Sometimes he grapples. I mean, you, you can also go back and watch Muhammad Usman's fights against uh, Sype over on The Ultimate Fighter. You can watch his fight that he had in the finale against Zach Paunga where he plays around on the outside and he does a little bit of striking. And it took him to lose the first round against Paunga handily on volume, which is something that Jake Collier does very well, to land one big power shot and shut the lights out for Zach Paunga to win the title. Usman, in his UFC debut, his last time out, took on Junior Tafa in a battle of control versus damage. And Matt, sometimes 
even in the years 2022 and 2023, Control can win fights. One of the worst fights you'll Usman ever watch, though. was able to get the win oh, somewhat controversially over Junior Tafa's last time out. So now he gets to take on an established UFC veteran. It's no debuting fighter. It's Jake Collier. Collier, one of the more interesting guys because we think back to his time at 185. And then his fight against Marcel Fortuna on the way up to 265. But for Collier, since he's moved up to heavyweight, They've given him big names, well, they've given him small names, and he hasn't been able to beat many of them. And the thing about Jay Collier was, for the longest time, we applauded him for being a heavyweight who fought like a middleweight, right? Like, after that Jean Vellante fight, it was an impressive, complete performance, and I really thought, hey, not that I never thought Jay Collier was going to win the title. I'm not getting crazy or anything, but it was nice to see a guy who, okay, he might not be the most athletic guy in the world, but he moves well on the feet. He is very good with his hands. He can throw a high level of volume. And he seemed to have pretty good cardio at that time, but do you think that Jake Collier affected has almost caught up with Jake Collier at this stage of his career because it is great to be that sort of undersized heavyweight, if you will. I know he's not undersized in terms of weight, but again, not a lot of heavyweights at any point in their life could have caught or cut down to 185. So he is normally Just at chair cannoneer. Yeah, exactly. Not like Derek Lewis would ever fight at middleweight. But for Collier, he did add that extra hitch to his game that I thought made him quite unique. But at the age of 34, I'm a little bit concerned that it's almost like his age has caught up with him to where those middleweight gifts are now gone. Now just a heavy heavyweight who's not really a natural heavyweight who doesn't really have an X factor every time he walks into the cage and that is a concern moving forward because I don't think Jake Collier has something not a lot of other heavyweights in the world do it's a well-rounded skill set but the issue is at this stage of his career does he have the gas tank behind said skill set and also the ability to go out there and land clean shots because for Collier he's never been a bad striker by any means but he doesn't have a hard time really hurting guys with a lot of shots on the feet he normally really has to mix his martial arts to go out there and get wins and granted it's been a while since he's got those wins I disagree that he He's got to mix his martial arts to get wins. Now, the one fight against Chase Sherman, you had, a shim- you had a shimmy slip, and then Collier ends up on the back. He ends up getting the submission by rear naked choke. But you go down through the heavyweight fights for Jay Collier. We'll do a Cole's notes. He fights Tom Aspinall after about a three-year layoff. You know how that's going to go. Yeah, he gets pieced apart, but that's fine. It's Tom Aspinall. He takes on John Volante. And I know that Jake Collier was cut on his nose at the end of that fight, and he was bleeding a little bit. He pieced up John Volante on the outside. All facets of his striking were working out from the fight against Carlos Felipe for time. I made an argument that Collier won that fight. I like Collier's volume in it, but he loses a split decision there. Beat Sherman, the aforementioned slippy dip, and then he ends up with the submission. And then the last three fights for Collier, all three of them losses. He's one of five fighters on this card to lose their last three fights. Takes on Andre Orlovsky. I'll go to my grave saying that Jake Collier won that fight, but it's a loss by split decision. Then he takes on Your Chris Barnett. Your grandkids are like, Craig, do you love us? And you're like, no. <laughs> Jake Collier beat Andre Orlovsky, and then you're gone. Well, against <laughs> He nearly finished him. And most people, most referees would have said that's enough. But... But if the other guy is enough in the tank to come back and stop you, I normally disagree with somehow that. Somehow Burnett came back and Collier was a little tired in the second round. And then his last time out against Martin Budai, that big guy, he's going to end up in the rankings guy. at some point. And Budai is one of those technical, bigger heavyweights that can not just box, but wear you down in the clinch and then work in some of his takedowns if we do end up seeing it. Now, the big point on this fight, not just with Jake Collier's overall skill set, not just with the fact that Muhammad Usman, even before ending up on the ultimate fighter had a loss to sales over with uh, pfl where he gets submitted and it was a terrible look brandon sales but when you look at this it was originally supposed to be jake collier taking on titan fc heavyweight champ walter walker and you might go walter like waluigi a little bit walter walker brother of one 
Johnny Walker. So Walker out of the matchup. This fight was announced back on July 14th. So a full camp for both of these guys for all intents and purposes. Usman training out of Colorado for this one. Jake Collier back at Pat Smith. The pit close to home. When we do look at the matchup, Matt, Usman is slightly favored here. We haven't really touched on his skill set too much, but we will. We have a look at the top all Surprise Surprised us there to you. Guys lost three fights in a row. Hard to pick him. Kind of like the Daniel Lacerda effect a little bit. Oh, but you stole exactly what I was going to say. Listen, weird stuff's going to happen. Matt, I'm going to say over under 70% under. Usman here. Under. And it is... It's wild. Okay, seven hundred. Go back to Lacerda though. Seven hundred sixty-five total votes. Eighty-nine percent Usman. Sixty-seven percent by knockout. Wow. Okay, this is my big issue with Muhammad Usman. He has a lot of chances to win this fight just by being a lot faster and a lot stronger than Jay Collier. I think from the outside, he's going to be able to land shots if he is able to connect. But the thing about Usman is. He is not an accurate puncher from the outside at all. So if he is able to get that knockout win, if he is able to stop a guy like Jake Collier, I think he's going to take a lot of chances at the dartboard before he's able to hit that bullseye. And I know I said last week when Daniel Lacerda fought, I would never pick a fighter who had lost four straight fights, and especially not one who had lost four straight by stoppage. I'm about to do the unthinkable, Craig. Give me Jake the prototype Collier, even though he's on a three-fight losing streak, I hate what I've seen out of him, especially in the last matchup. But I agree with you. I think Budai is a much more talented fighter than a guy like Muhammad Usman. So I discredit that loss just in terms of, I don't think Muhammad Usman can recreate that type of a performance. So giving Jake Collier for being the more well-rounded fighter at the end of the day. But the thing about Usman is, I know he's 34 years old in the heavyweight division. And in welterweight and featherweight and lightweight, you might think, hey, that's pretty old, right? In heavyweight, they can still survive for a little while. But I do worry he doesn't have enough experience for being at that age. Pull that fishing reel in. Let's see what we got. It's a mackerel. It's not very good, yeah. but it is what it is. Matt, when I do look at this fight, for me, I'll go with Usman, and the reason being, it. listen, they're the same age. Damn Usman it. is most likely going to weigh in less than Jay Collier, and yeah, it's aim big, miss big with a lot of his strikes. He, he, he fights kind of it's almost like Craig Kimbrell-esque. He gets that arm up there, the arm out, and he tosses the job out there to throw the right hand. And Craig Kimbrell, he's got that dirty salad in the he back. Does. You ever see a picture of Craig Kimbrell's dad? No. He's got the long hair and the beard. Now Craig Kimbrell. I Kimbrel. think everyone should go through a phase like this, Craig. My boy is just like me. But when I do look at this one, if Martin Budai can slow down your game plan for three rounds, I can see Muhammad Usman doing the same. I think the cardio advantage and being at elevation going to pull through so give me Muhammad Usman in the matchup we're split on the pick let us know down below in the comment section who you have will it be the prototype will it be the motor some big time fights in this card Matt co-main event featherweights battling it Ooh. out thug nasty taking on 50k Dan Ige you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fight night picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. coming up this weekend at middleweight, Cody Brundage accepting a fight on short notice. And just like Jake Collier, Tim Means, Andrea Fialyu, uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez, all fighters on three-fight losing streaks coming into this one. Brundage looking to buck the trend and make that 8-5 and five a shiny 9-5 when he takes on Mamba, Jacob Malkoon. Matt, He's Mamba no Malkoon, a guy who likes to take the fight down to the mat. And Cody Brundage, one of those fighters who's winning every single one of his fights until he loses it. And that really is the story of Brundage since he's come onto the limelight. You go back to his fight on Contender Series against William Knight. He's beating William Knight until he ends up getting finished. And then you look at Cody Brundage, even the last five fights. 
Beats Dolce Lungiambula in a fight where actually he's losing until he wins. That was one of the biggest Hail Mary guillotines that you're ever going to see. But that set a dangerous precedent, if that's a little bit of foreshadowing. He beats Treshawn Gore where he, at the end of the fight, we're talking about boxing now? Who's a boxer now? Cody Brundage, one of those guys, wrestled all the way through college, ends up in MMA, has a good wrestling pedigree, but his boxing has gotten better at Factory X Muay Thai. But for Brundage, his last three fights, this is where it gets bad. Takes on Michael Olachechuk, looks good with the takedown the last early. Last thing you ever want to do with a middleweight division. Until we get back up, we get bucked, and everything goes out the window. We lose Olachechuk by finish. Takes on Hadolfo Vieira, drops him in the first round. Second round starts. Hadolfo's pressure and a pace. Gets Brundage behind the black line. Brundage, will it work for me when I took on Dolce Lungiambula? I'm pulling guillotine. Looks like it's tight. But it's against the black belt, Hunter. And and those two losses are quite defensible, but yep. you do look at the level of competition. And then Brundage's last time out against Cedricus Dumas. Short notice fight against Dumas, just like this short notice fight. Between round one and round two, Mark Montoya, coach of Factory X, says, Hey, and I quote, Hey, wake the fuck up. Let's go. Cody Brundage looked completely lifeless throughout the entirety of that That's fight. And every time he didn't get a takedown, he looked completely demoralized. And Cody Brundage is another one of these fighters, Matt, taking a short notice fight at middleweight. Trains out of Factory X. His management team's Iridium. You hear a pattern? Josh Fremd was the exact same thing last week. Oh and same management, that same everything. That body shot made me like get up and, and go, Ugh. And Josh Fram ended up losing. So now Cody Brundage takes on Jacob Malkoon. And for Mamba Malkoon, Matt, uh, you want numbers on a page? I'll I give don't them to really because they're probably not great. Eight takedowns against Al Hassan, six against Dobbs, and seven against Allen, nine against Maximo. Jacob Malkoon, a protege, like an early 2000s Mazda. Robert Whitaker. And listen, you don't need a big spoiler on a front-wheel drive car, but Jacob Alcoon's going to burn those tires off with his takedowns. Uh, evolution doesn't always make you bigger and better, though. It just makes you different. And for Jacob Alcoon... Evolution is a mystery. One of the great all-time Titan songs. <laughs> My point is for Malcoon. Yes, he might train with a Robert Whitaker, who is a guy who really represents being one of the best well-rounded MMA fighters we have, right? It's somebody who uses striking, uses grappling, uses really every component of MMA and go out there and get wins. And for Malcoon, he does feel like that, but it very much is a work in progress. And luckily, he is only 28 years old. And to his credit about Malcoon, which I never thought I was going to say because I was quite down on him early on in his UFC career, he's made the improvements. Like, his MMA grappling has been quite phenomenal. And I do like the amount of take he can go out there and use and he does seem to have a good level of MMA IQ to be hey when you're a dangerous striker I'm gonna work like hell to get it back down to the mat but the big issue I do have is I think Jacob Malkoon's the more well-rounded fighter in this match but I do think his wrestling is gonna be good enough to not only defend the I don't think he's more well-rounded I think he can defend the takedowns of Brundage. My biggest issue is, though, Malkoon is going to be at a size disadvantage, I think. And it's going to make it that much harder for him to go out there and secure some of those takedowns. And I can see that being a bit of a hurdle that he gets caught on. Because if he's not able to go out there and get his own offensive takedowns, I think he's going to take a lot out of the threat of his striking. And if that's the case, Cody Brundage, in theory, should be able to just stand in the pocket, throw his own boxing combinations, use his wrestling as a defensive tool. And if he's able to just rinse and repeat that game plan, I don't think that's going to completely gas him, right, to where he's not the fighter he is in the first round that he is in the third round. So I think Brundage does have a way to win this fight, but it really does come down to the size advantage, I think. Yeah, now you're playing mental gymnastics because for this fight originally, I mean, we've had Malkoon go through quite a few opponents. He was supposed to take on the Black Wolf. There's a lot of them in the UFC now, but Ali Eskapasriyev, that fight fell out. Then he was supposed to take on Robert Brzezhek. That fight fell out. So Brundage taking this fight on 
incredibly short notice. Uh, it was announced September 5th that this was going to be a fight. And when you look at it for Malkoon, I worry. I mean, AJ Dobson did win his last fight. I'm not a big AJ Dobson guy. However, Malkoon slowed down in the third round of that fight, and Dobson was able to pick up the torch with his boxing. For Brundage, I know he's on a three-fight losing streak. I know two of those three are by finish. Was his last fight an anomaly because it was on short notice? Is this short notice nature going to affect him quite a bit? For Malkoon, his last time out, MMA math, tinfoil hat. He sent young Nick Diaz Academy prospect. Nick Maximov out of the UFC. Happy trails. Brundage lost to Nick Maximov. So, automatically, Jacob Malkoon wins. Now, I thought Brundage beat Maximo, but that's neither here nor there. Malkoon, a big favorite in the fight. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprised us there to you. I'm going to say over under 90% Malkoon. These folks are crazy. They'll be under 90, but it'll be the favorite. Nope. Oh, my God. 616 total votes, 95% Malkoon, 80% by decision. Matt, today... I went to a store, a store where you need a TJ Maxx card, even though we don't have TJ Maxx in Canada. That store, HomeSense. And I picked up a book, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality, The Rise, Matt. Mamba Mentality, going with Jacob Malkoon. Like, I have three pairs of Kobe's. I loved Kobe Bryant growing up. Like, he was, I love basketball, guys, you understand. Jacob Malkoon, get a new nickname, bud. Uh, I have Jacob Malkoon in the matchup. But I don't have, like, Jacob Malkoon is one of those fighters who's very difficult to project a ceiling on, right? Because he does do pretty much everything okay, but you worry about what's he going to do to go out there and win ranked fights for 15 minutes, even with middleweight being as shallow as it is currently. So I think he's going to get the win in this matchup, but I still have no idea where Jacob Malkoon is in the middleweight division. Had a fairly competitive fight with Brendan Allen. Didn't get it done with the strikes, but he just was rinse and repeat with his takedown attempts in this matchup. Both of us going with Australia's own... Mamba Jacob Malkoon to get the win. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have. Typically, I have Cody Brundage in just about every single one of his fights. And you can tell that hasn't worked out for me lately. Some big time fights in this card at the top. UF Fazeev taking on Gamrot. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Day Picks. We always say, let's, let's get into it. Welterweights fighting for a roster spot coming up this weekend with three fight losing streaks apiece. We have the Dirty Bird, Tim Means, taking on Andrea Fialyu out of Portugal. When you look at it for dominance management, MMA's own Andrea Fialyu, three straight losses, all of them by knockout. I wish I could sign the loser. I don't have a fight promotion, but damn it, if I did, they would be fighting for my title. If Fialyu loses, it's going to be Titan FC or Eagle FC. And if Tim Means loses... I think he'd be okay in the PFL, honestly. He wouldn't win the million dollars, but I think he'd at least do okay enough to make the playoffs. Yeah, he had that chance before, Matt, and he lost to Chris Curtis, and that was his PFL journey. But when you look at it for Andrea Fialyu, he's coming into this one on a wave of whatever the opposite of success is. bad, it goes bad. Taking on Jake Matthews. Matthews was able to wobble him at the end of the first round. We get ourselves into the second round, and Matthews is able to unload. It was a left hook in the first round. It was a left hook in the second round. He that turned wobbles. into one of the greatest fighters of all time in that second round. Into a big-time flurry and a knockout blow. Fialyu is next time out. He's taking on Muslim Salikov. You saw Fialyu. He wasn't able to crowd with his boxing. Salikov was able to work in the kicks. He ends up getting that spinning back kick. TKO win. And then Fialyu's last time out, Matt, went back, watched the Joaquin Buckley fight. Both guys are tentative. Buckley playing around on the outside with his kicks. Notice how I talk about kicks a lot with Andrea Fialyu. And then in the second round, Fialyu had all the defenses in the world in that one. Sometimes he can drop his hands at inopportune times. He didn't. He kept his hands up. 
But by the jeepers, did he ever eat a full-blown head kick against Joaquin Buckley? <laughs> Maybe not who the fight to applaud his defense. Landed there. one more shot just for good measure and then hopped up onto the cage and let out a noise that I can only describe as that Piotr Jan pre-title fight. Ah! So when you do look at it, Matt, Andrea Fialiu, three-fight losing streak. I was over the moon hyped about Andrea Fialio coming into the UFC and if you look at his last two wins Cameron Van Camp that one's a performance bonus and Miguel Baeza also performance bonus though we did get rocked by a straight shot from Cameron Van Camp he's taking on Tim Means Matt the last three fights equally as poor though he has been submitted versus knocked out he took on Kevin Holland he worked in some of his wrestling and then he got caught in a dark. I don't want to say I may have said I told you so Kevin he, Holland's gonna get that submission he win he took on Max Griffin in that fight I mean means working in the kicks working in the body shots and then in tight in the first Griffin with the you. right it drops means but a pretty close fight after that and then the last time out for Tim Means against Alex Morono wins the first round and in the second round they're in tight he lands a good shot against Morono and then Morono pulls guillotine and you know that Morono guillotine especially when he readjusted oh, and he was good. sitting up it was in Tim Means kind of gives him a pat they smile they're hugging like it was a shame to see it that way but this is one of those weird fights where Andrea Fialiu I get it with the spinning back kick from Muslim Salakov but We've seen his chin tested in the UFC. Every we saw fight. it tested with Bellator. We saw the wrestling be a bit of an issue, the Chris Curtis fight and so on. You know that Stefan Seklich finish where Seklich is going for the takedown and Fialiu says no and then finishes him. But by and large, Fialiu's a decently well-rounded fighter. More boxing, less kicks. He throws his left hand three different ways. Jab, cut the cage, left hook, uppercut in the lead. But Tim Means, one of those weird fighters as a southpaw to where he works the body to great effect in his last six fights, three wins in a row, three losses in a row, 374 significant strikes, 125 of them to the body. That's good for exactly 33% of Tim Means' shots I being just thought shots. of it, Craig. Go ahead. Tim Means is going to BKFC. He beat their king. Mike Perry's yeah. kind of a big Whoa. deal right now and Whoa. only in the world of bare-knuckle boxing. Tim Means beat the brakes off Mike Perry. That fight was fairly one-sided, and I don't think enough people remember it, because Means is going downhill with his combinations, using the elbows in tight, and that's the thing about both these fighters. Both of them, I would say, are very much positive offensive strikers, right? When they were fighting the fight on their... What? Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. This thing, like, when Fialo is able to land his power strikes, move out of the way in the pocket, and really be able to dictate his own pace and power, then I do think he is a very good fighter, and can go out there and beat good opponents, too. The problem is when he's backed up he is a much lesser version of himself than when he's the guy moving forward because when he is moving forward he will throw much more variety than he will when he's moving backwards he will have a tendency to just kind of you know firm up and throw that one big power shot and this is the thing and uh, you might be surprised people out there might be heartbroken I think Andre wins this fight. Now, I can make this video 45 minutes long if you want me to, because I know a good amount about these guys. But the issue is, Tim Means at this stage of his career does like to crowd the distance, right? Get into that tie clinch and use his dirty boxing, use those elbows. And he will fight on the outside too, don't get me wrong. But when the fight is going at the Dirty Bird's way, he's using his inside fighting, using his outside fighting, and really using the footwork too. 
But that's a style that means you're gonna have to eat a couple big shots. And I know Means isn't getting put out completely in these recent fights, but he's also a fighter that 39 years of old, being in the crazy fights that Tim Means has got into for the majority of his career, I don't trust his chin necessarily, even though Andre's the guy who has suffered TKO losses more recently, and this streak has been much more highlighted by them. I worry that Tim Means is just gonna walk into big shot after big shot during this matchup, because he really does like that elbow range, and I think that's gonna make him more susceptible to the big punch. And Andre Fial, you uppercut from either of his hands and he throws them to ill effect once things get tight but the thing that Fialio can struggle against we saw that when you go back through and you watch that XMMA fight against James Vick first round Vick kicking distance throwing a lot of stuff out there and Fialio like any great champion that they say or like a Floyd Mayweather Volkanovski taking the first round How to, dare you to download the game plan and then the Floyd second Mayweather. round you saw Fialio really just establishing things with that lead left hook and then he was able to go out there and get the finish but for Tim Means again Wins in the first round against Alex Morono. That tricky outside striker, a lot of lateral yes. movement, gets submitted. But the thing that I don't necessarily like about Means is, yeah, once things get into the phone booth, as we say, he leaves his hands out there, and either he is looking for that clinch or he just leaves him out there to defend, and his head's back here. And we did see him get hit by that straight shot from Max Griffin. Drop. Really good resolve. Second round, third round. Again, split decision win for Griffin. Most had seen that fight for Griffin. I and I did as well on the rewatch. But, but even go back to the Nico Price fight. I know he lost that fight. I think they announced it was like an ankle injury because the way he fell from the knockdown did break his yeah. ankle. But Nico Price up against the cage. Tim Means advancing. Steps off to the side. Lays a right hook through the guard. And immediately crumbles Tim Means. Just He is such an aggressive fighter that it does put him in the face of danger. And in a matchup like this, not that I'm sold on Andre anymore. Definitely not as a top contender. But he... He has the type of game plan that can make that pay. I mean, we're talking about a guy that came into the UFC in 2012. He's 14-12 with an O contest it's in the UFC. It's been a great run. The knockdown ratio, 9-4 to 4 against. Performance bonuses over Diego Lima and John Howard. Names of yesteryear, but one still competing and one. He's a Hall of Famer. One was in Creed 3. Diego Lima. There's your fun fact to bring to B-Dub Dubs to your buds. Andrea Fialio, but a 2-1 to one favorite in the matchup. We have a look at the top all vote. Surprised us there to you. I'm not surprised by anything anymore. I'm going to say over under 80% Fialio. I'll say under. You're going to say under slightly. 755 total votes. 76% Fialio. 80% by knockout for the 24% that I means. 44% by decision. 43% by knockout. The last means win was about two years ago over Nicholas Dalby. You can bump up things for both these guys in these streaks, but it does feel like the loser goes home at the end. Sad. Why are you trying to bum me out like that, Sad. Craig? I like both these guys. I like watching them fight. They're in fun fights. Like, and they both are in that Daniel Lacerda mode, right? Like, even when Means or Andre loses, like, is the fight boring? No, they're probably either getting finished or finishing someone. That sounded kind of dirty. I don't have Tim Means, and I really want it to. It would have made me feel a lot better as a human, but I, I just think he's going to walk into a lot of big power shots in this matchup. And at 31 years old, yeah, maybe he could eat a couple of those and then ultimately get the win. I just don't think he's going to be able to at this stage of his career. Well, if we see Fialio like we saw him his last time out against Joaquin Buckley, where he's doing nothing, absolutely but nothing. But I think Andre would knock out Tim Means in the first round, too. To Means, be Means is going to bring a lot to him. So we'll see how Fialio is able to turn out with that. I'm going to go against my better judgment and go with Andrea Fialio in the matchup because the more I watch the tape with the body work and the kicks of Tim Means and the southpaw nature of the fight, 
I can see it causing the Portuguese fighter a lot of problems. So we're both going with Portugal's Andrea Fialiu. I'm very nervous for both of these two guys, if you couldn't tell. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. Co-main event of the evening. Featherweight division, Thug Nasty taking Ooh. on 50K Ige. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. LFA Bantamweight champs is going to be the Parkside Rangers versus the Newman Jets, premier college wrestlers and so many things in common. Coming up this weekend, we have Chapo Miles Johns at a Marathon MMA taking on the Cubs Swanson protege at a Jackson Wink. It's the determined Dan Argetta. For Argetta, he had a weird fight his last he time did. out. I mean, referee Keith Peterson was all over it. It was a little bit like J. Cole's hit from yesteryear. Wet dreams, because there was a premature stoppage in that fight, Matt. Dan Argetta, when he's taking on... one in a certain kind of neighborhood. Ronnie Lawrence, you had the guillotine, the darce, the anaconda, and every which way, Keith Peterson in on the action. The hand was there. It was ready to tap. It looked like it was one phantom tap, and then Peterson touched it, and that was a they tap. They call him no-nonsense, Craig, but between you and me, he'll allow a little bit. A little bit. But when you do look at this fight, Matt, Dan Argetta, last time out, decent-sized underdog against Ronnie was, Lawrence. Yeah. In the scrambles, Dan Argetta looked very, very good. And when I talk about the wrestling out of both these guys, for Argetta, two-time state qualifier in Illinois with those Parkside Rangers. For Miles Johns, a very, very good Kansas State champ in wrestling at, what was it, Newton High School? And then he went to one Newman college and miles johns i mean he got injured the wrestling career he called it quits very early on to pursue a career in mma he gets that win over adrian yanez over with the lfa wins the belt and kind of off to the races beats santiago on contender series and now we've seen this much uh you know accredited miles johns continue to win these fights now the two losses are two against very now hyped up fighters in their own right. One against Mario Bautista, fairly quick, quick loss in that one. The other loss to John Castaneda, but Castaneda, I mean, the finishing. Sexy Maxi. Muin Gafurov recently, that was a good one, and Castaneda just had a big fight booked in his own right. So when you do look at this fight, Matt, for John's his last time out almost a year ago, he takes on Vince Morales, and it was. Uh, it was bad. It was like Austin Hubbard, Roosevelt Roberts in The Ultimate Fighter. Like, hey, we used to be on the same team. Let's spar a little bit. That's what it looked like. It wasn't a very good fight. It wasn't the best version of Miles Johns. Whereas for Dan Argetta, I mean, I that's another one. Bring it to my deathbed. One, Jake Collier beat Andre Arlovsky. Two, Dan Argetta against Ricky Tercios in The Ultimate Fighter is one of the best fights that nobody's ever seen. That fight... Craig, your son's on the phone, but he needs to know about Dan Argetta. <laughs> You're not a vampire. Like, why every time are you doing this like you're in a sarcophagus? I don't know. I guess that's just my death pose. But for Argetta, uh, an awesome fight against Tertios. I thought Argetta won it. But regardless, Argetta, though the UFC debut on short notice up a weight class against Action Jackson, Damon Jackson. He loses that fight. But he's had two big showings since then. Argetta gets the win. Another short notice fight because Argetta was actually supposed to fight Miles John's teammate at a time, Ike Delgarian. Isaac Delgarian, was he going to be the full send fighter? Not anymore. Full send didn't do it. They went with Mike Malott instead somehow, even though that wasn't the premise of that episode of looking for a fight. Shut up, Mike Malott. But Argetta gets that win at 145 against Nick Aguirre, just north of 10 minutes of control time in that one. We know how good Argetta is with his wrestling. He can just go and go and go like an Energizer bunny. This is really going to come down to defensive wrestling, of which Miles Jones is Definitely. very good at, and I have it by the numbers in this one because... 
His takedown defense, 92%. He stopped 13 of 14 takedown attempts in the UFC. Miles John's takedown accuracy in the UFC, 5 of 26, 19%. This is where I have a really hard time with this matchup, though, because Dan Argetta might not have the best percentage like you bring up for his wrestling takedowns, but he is a guy who... No, 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 that's Miles Johns. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, offensively. But that's another point I was going to get to. Both guys can wrestle, but I would say Argetta's wrestling is much more at the forefront of his game. If he's going to go out there and win, especially against ranked levels of opposition, he's going to have to use his wrestling and his grappling a lot more than I would say a Miles Johns have to, even though Johns does have that weapon in his back pocket. I think Johns can be able to make Argetta uncomfortable though on the back foot and that's what this fight really comes down to. Can he draw out poor takedown attempts from Argetta? Because if Dan's able to move forward and really use his volume to then set up his own takedown attempts I think he does have a great opportunity to win this fight but if he is the guy moving backwards who's shooting from that half step too far away he might need a big shot for his troubles while he is going for some of those grappling exchanges but the thing about Argetta is if he is able to get it down to the mat I think that top pressure is going to be a really hard time for Mal Johns to be able to overcome. I think Johns can be able to to defend a lot of those takedowns, but who's a good fighter who had this in his game? Alexander Gustafson, here's a good example of it. Great takedown defense, but if you were able to breach that dam, it, it kind of fell apart, right? He didn't have the greatest grappling off his back. I think John's going to be able to have good defensive uh, wrestling on the feet, but if Argetta's able to get on top, I don't know if John's going to be re- is really going to be able to A, threaten with submissions off his back, not a huge part of his game, and also just get back up against the cage, do things that are going to be able to get him back up to his feet, because Argetta will break his base down continually and that's something that's going to help him with his game as this fight continues well we'll see how this one plays out because for john's takedown defense at the forefront you saw it in the fight against kevin natividad push away all the takedown attempts toss that uppercut and that was all that she wrote and john's is one of those guys you look at both these guys and i talk so much about the wrestling very much wrestle boxers not big in terms of the kicks but for john's a nice jab it's zippy it tends to hit the target and a really big overhand right in the uppercut as well for dan argetta he'll throw a little bit more variety to his shots but this is going to be one of those interesting fights because for Johns again Marathon MMA Trey Ogden second week where we give him a little bit of a shine and Garrett Armfield as well a pretty darn good fighter that's going to be able to replicate Dan Argetta he can grapple in in the wrestling room so when it does come down to this matchup Matt Argetta is the slight favorite here we have a look at the topology votes I'm sure Cole Smith's going to be watching this one in Canada I I gotta be honest I thought the odds could be a little bit closer I think this is a really close fight on so do I I really do I'm going to say over under 67.5% Argetta. I'll say over, but I think it'll be close. Uh, a little bit Slightly over. over. 670 total votes, 71% Argetta, 46% by decision, 43% by submission. What? For the 29% that have John, 70% by decision, 18% by knockout. And again, for Argetta, like I look at the two losses that he has recently one to tertios in the ultimate fighter that doesn't count in that one first round argetta wins second round i thought argetta won the judges gave it to tertios sudden death third round and then tertios was able to get the win with a lot of his striking and so for argetta he has that loss to damon jackson where he gets his seatbelt or backpacked for a lot of it and he's just punching whack-a-mole behind him and he had some good success with that but argetta wasn't able to get the win there other than that I mean, we haven't really seen him tested a lot, and you will against Miles Johns in this fight. As bad, or maybe not as good, I guess, as he looked against Vince Morales, if I can vocalize that correctly. You look at the other wins that Johns has, Kevin Natividad has a knockout, that tough old Anderson Dos Santos. That guy, he fought some names. That's a nice way to put it, right? He fought a lot of people, He fought some names. So, for me, Matt, when it does come down to this one, I do have Daniel the Determined, but Miles Johns up the gut 
I mean, when he's throwing those uppercuts and those big straight shots up the middle, that really could stifle Argetta, especially with the good takedown defense that Johns has. So I have Argetta, but I think it's going to be a controversial decision in terms of, I think Johns going to do more damage, but Argetta is going to get those high levels of takedowns and control time along with some of those takedowns. And I think that's going to be able to outweigh the damage that Johns might potentially do on the feet. But if Miles Johns can make Argetta pay for a lot of those takedown attempts, especially early on in the matchup, it's going to make them a lot less frequent as this fight continues. And if that is the case, Johns has more power on the feet. It is not even close between these two fighters, and he could land that one big shot. He has a very powerful right hand, like I mentioned earlier, so I have Argetta, but there's a great game plan for Johns to win this fight. A big-time matchup in this loaded Bantamweight division. Make sure you check out that fight. The rest of the video is on the card. Hamosh taking on Charles Jolden next in this fight. Both of us going with Dan, the determined Argetta. One of these LFA former Bantamweight champs is going to get the win. They will. Knock wood. So enjoy this while it lasts. Some big-time fights on this card. Uh, we've already touched on them, but that main event, I can't what get over it. Fazeev taking on Gamrot. Keep it locked in with Fight and Apex, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. On paper, this is an absolute banger. It Coming is. up this weekend at Featherweight, we have Brazil's Ricardo Ramos taking on Beloit, Quebec, Canada's own air, Charles Jordan. So, Matt... I'm going to start this video off in a different way. For Ricardo Hamosh, if you were his friend and you decided, you know what? We got to sit down. We got to enjoy this autumn, the colors of the trees, the pumpkin spice that's out there. You grab yourself a nice latte. You sit down with your buddy Ricardo and you ponder life. You put your knee up. People can't see it, but you put your knee up. You're sitting there and you go, Ricardo, I got a question though about your career. Just just yeah, yeah. quick. I, I want to broach the subject. Could you throw more spinach perhaps? What the fuck are you doing? For Ricardo Hamoshmat, again, like the Joey Harrington jersey that I decided to wear today, this guy is an absolute electric factory oh, sure. when he's on the feet. And in certain fights, he's amazing with his takedowns. But the reason why I say, if you're Hamosh's friend, like, I don't know how you broach the subject because it's going to be awkward. But Hamosh is one of those guys, he trained in Brazil, he trained in the States, but he's back in Brazil. Hamosh, he fought on two looking for a fight episode. He's back in Brazil sounds like a reality show. The, the Minneapolis episode that had Nick the Tooth. I don't know why I said Minneapolis, like I'm from the Midwest myself, but Minneapolis. And then, of course, the Dana White's looking for a fight in Maine. Do where they made Nick the Tooth? Where they made lobster rolls and there was a knock em up uh, what was it, a, a crash derby with the cars. Hamosh gets a win on both of those episodes. Or sorry, lose the first one, and then Wait he gets a win in Maine. So Hamosh is in the UFC. For Hamosh, I mean, an awesome win over Eamon Zahabi. The double spinning back oh, fist. so nice. He had an amazing performance with his wrestling way back against Bill Algio. Had a bunch of takedowns in that one. Performance bonus over Eduardo Garagori. But then where it gets squirrely. He lost the fight where he struggled in the grappling against Zuba. Everybody loved him at AKA. Zuba. Daniel Cormier always talked about him so glowingly. Zuba. Zubair Takugov. And Hamosh was supposed to fight against Austin Lingo earlier on this year. And you might go, well, Craig, this is a featherweight fight. Ricardo Hamosh is a featherweight. Yeah. But uh, you see the graphic there? He weighed 154 pounds for a featherweight well, fight. For a featherweight you fight. You like the Celtics, right? He's like Aaron Neesmith. I like Ricardo. Every time you believe in him, he comes up short. But guess what? When you sell his, your stock, he's going to prove he, you wrong. Hamosh is young. He's no longer training a team alpha male. That's fine. But he's, he's training back MMA, home in Brazil. that's fair to say. He's had quite a few fights at this yeah, stage Yeah, 20 pro fights. So for Hamosh, I don't know what to think anymore. The book's out. For Charles Jordan, 
for the Americans that are out there, again, I get it. But guess what? You know what? I brought a prop for you guys for this week. Matt, in Quebec, bad monkey popcorn is everywhere. And there's a restaurant that's a chain, and it's only in Quebec. It's like your Boston pizza if you're an American, like your Applebee's or whatever. It's called La Cajo Spa. I know that. Or if you're an American and you read it, you might go, LA Cage Auxiliary Sports? Yeah, maybe. But guess what? You know what they make? They make Coat Leve Popcorn. That's a ribs popcorn. Smart. This fight for me, it's a pop and popcorn fight. That's why I bring this in front of you today. But for Jordan, his last time out, you can't draw a lot from it because he's taking on Crone Gracie. He played that. Well, when the fight went down to the mat, he put the phone up to his ear. He held it tight and he didn't take that call. He just just let it ring. And Jordan was able to get the decision win out there. He struggled with the grappling of Shane Burgos. But you look at the fights that Jordan's able to win. I mean, the marquee win being, I would say, Andre Yule with the kicks, Probably, and yeah. with the aggression at the end of it. But when you look at this one on paper, it's an awesome fight. Both guys are good strikers. When the ball's in their court, they can grapple. Jordan, I would say, the takedown defense is always a concern. But Hamosh, you can pick on some of those fights. The only X factor that I can come up with out of the back pocket is Hamosh. He's already beaten a Canadian, so he's 1-0 against Canadians in his overall pro career. We're all the same. In the UFC, against a Montrealer. I know wow. Beloy's not in Montreal, but it's right there, and that was a win over Eamon Zahabi. So, Matt, I'm going to open up the pop and popcorn. Just, this is my big issue with the fight, and also why I'm very excited for this matchup, because I do think this is going to be a phenomenal fight, as I was worried Craig was going to elbow me in the face trying to open that popcorn. But both guys do have that version. It's like what I always say about Michael Lola's shade check. If I'm a used car salesman, I can make you believe he is a effing Ferrari, okay, that runs perfectly. If I'm a real honest guy, though, you know, it's probably not great. I can admit some faults in this car. It's probably got some body filler, you know? It's not all pristine. But when Chagelday is able to fight a fight on his terms, switching between stances, using the plethora of kicks he does have at his availability, and that's something we talk about quite a bit. He is a bit of a different fighter between the two stances. There's a lot more body kicks from that southpaw position, but... I think he's the more dangerous guy on the outside in this fight, at least in terms of punching power, because Hamosh is a guy who does do very well up close. I know he's a long-rangey guy, but we do see that out of some fighters, like an Ignacio Bahamondes, for instance. There's some fighters who, when you look at you assume they're really good from that long distance, but they get a lot of their solid work done from up close. And for Hamosh, got great elbows. I like his uppercuts up the middle, too, and I do think that's going to allow him to at least mix in his own grappling a little bit more and make it more available to his skill set. But the problem I have with Jordan in this matchup is, go back to, like, the Cullybow fight, for instance, right? Like, Joshua Cullybow's a good fighter, don't get me wrong, he's talented, but Hamosh, I would say, is in a, a similar category, right? It's not like either guy is far better than the other. Hamosh is able to mix his martial arts in a similar way that a Cullybow is, use his wrestling and disguise it with some of his strikes, and I think that that's a game plan he could follow to go out there and win the fight. The issue is, Jordan will sometimes fight at that very high pace, right? He's gonna go out there, try to beat you in the first round, and then we'll kind of wonder what's gonna happen after. Can Jordan pace himself enough against a guy who is so aggressive in Hamosh? And I think we've seen Jordan paced himself even that's in the fair, losses like he he was able to have the rally against Shane Burgos he was able to get on the uh end of the punches against Nathaniel Wood I guess that's a nice way to say it and then the Crone Gracie fight is what it is for Hamosh though I keep talking about team alpha male he was in the room when Andre Feely was getting ready for Charles Jordan wouldn't that be awesome if you were still training there with Andre Feely to kind of pick up on some of that stuff out of a win that Feely had that was definitely a win even though it was a split decision if you look at this fight it is incredibly close. Jordan is slightly favored at the start of this one. 
Matt, we have a look at the topology votes. I'm going to let you set them because I don't know where they are, but it feels like they're going to be wild. 65% shoulder. I'm going to say under. And it is... Yeah, see, 791 total votes, 78% for Charles Jourdain, 70% by decision for the 22% that have Hamosh, 66% by decision. I think this is another one of those close, close fights. And if this one takes place on the feet, it's going to be fireworks while it lasts. So I do have a hard time with the pick. I'm eager to get your thoughts on this one. But for Hamosh... It's like that old Katy Perry song. You're hot and you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. I don't know what we're going to get anymore. You're up and you're down. Kid's up and he's down, man. Wrong when it's right. It's black when it's white. We fight, we break up, we kiss, we make up. And for Ricardo Hamosh, I do think he has a great chance to win this matchup. Don't get me wrong. I would say both guys... Well, Jordan, I Okay, let me shut the heck up. Jordan's not the most well-rounded fighter, right? He does have defensive submissions in his repertoire, but he's not going to go out there and use a lot of the offensive wrestling and try to get on top of you and Damian no, the, Maia submit the you. The perfect example there was against Lando Venata. We talked up his collegiate exactly. wrestling. He goes for a takedown, head in the guillotine. They would homage, though. I do think his MMA game is a little bit more well-rounded. We will see the offensive wrestling a little bit more, even if he's doing well on the feet. I think he's going to have a hard time on the outside, though. I do think those light kicks of Jolde are really going to add up on a guy like Hamosh. And if Hamosh can't get his respect, be it either with the wrestling, make that a big enough threat, or the power shots in his own right moving forward, I really do think he's going to struggle against some of the bigger shots coming back his way from a Jolde. You look at the losses that Hamosh has, Zubair Takugov, the loss to Lerone Murphy where he gets finished, that loss that he had on looking for a fight where he got submitted... Hamosh doing a lot more winning than he's losing. I do have Quebec, Charles Jordan, this one. Matt, Bad Monkey Popcorn out of Quebec. They say, Pouran, putain, retirez du sac et chauffez 5 minutes à 250 degrees Fahrenheit. You didn't do that, Craig. You just took them out of the bag. Matt, they're telling you, toss that into the oven and just make it a little I do tender. Understand French, make it a little Craig. bit a little bit tender. Tender popcorn. You know what you want. Matt, when it does come down to this one, we're in agreement with Quebec's own. Donnie Brooks' own. Charles Jordan coming out of that big time gym with Ian McKillop. Matt, some big time fights on this card. That co-main event can't get enough of it in this division. Mitchell taking on Ige. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. The fight that has me the most puzzled in terms of trying to make a pick on this entire card, we have the Ultimate Fighter Season 29 middleweight winner, The Butcher, Brian Battle, coming at you from the Carolinas. And he's going to be taking on Louisiana's own, the ghost, AJ Fletcher. Coach gave him the nickname because he doesn't tan too well, and we... We relate. Can relate to that, Matt. So when you do look at this fight, AJ Fletcher... It feels like he's been kind of passed over in the overall welterweight division. And the reason I say that is because last time out, he withstood the early barrage of the debuting UFC fighter out of Zimbabwe by way of South Africa, Themba Grimbo, because Fletcher finished him in that fight. exactly. But since then, Grimbo's gone on to get his own win in the UFC, and he ended up in the headlines after the fact. So for Fletcher, the time away since earlier on this year hasn't necessarily been his friend, but... He ends up in a big-time fight against Brian Battle, an asterisk next to the weigh-in for Battle because he's got that early first-round stoppage over Takashi Sato off of the win over Treshawn Gore. So a good win there. You take on Takashi Sato. You get him done in the first round. That's awesome. It's a bonus, and that's great. He then goes on to lose against Renat Fakhradinov in that fight. I mean, Fakhradinov drops him in the third round with a straight shot in tight, rinse and repeat with the takedowns. But Battle's last time out. We got a fight going on in the Carolinas. He's taking on Gabe Green. And Gabe Green did what other fighters have tried to do with Brian Battle, like Andre Petrovsky. 
and others on the amateur circuit that I'll get to. They blitz him. They try and either take him down or they blitz him with a striking. Gabe Green ran across the cage and Gabe Green ate a big time flurry and got knocked out in 14 seconds. The only reason why the only hometown fighter on that card didn't get a performance bonus was because of that asterisk. He showed in at 173. So you don't like to see that out of battle from his last fight out there. But when I look at both these guys, Matt, I've long said, and I think a lot of other people too, including Dana White after Fletcher beat Damiani over on Contender Series, the guy looks a little bit more like a lightweight. It's 5'10". I don't know He's about stocky. that. But he is, yeah, and he tends to carry himself all right as these fights go on. Now, you might disagree with that, and I can kind of parse that one as well. Fletcher, out of all his fights, 10 wins, 9 finishes, and yeah, 6 of them in the first round. And you go look at the Fletcher losses, the one to Matt Semmelsberger where, all right, he wins the first round, looks great, doesn't win the second, doesn't win the third. Or his fight against Ange Lusa, looks really good at the start, Ange finishes really strong. Both those guys, though... French 15ers, I'd say 25 to 15 for both of those guys. I think Lusa looks really good. I'd say they're about 15 to 60. I'll give you that. Well, that's fair. But that range. When it does come down to this fight, though, Matt, like I said, I, this is the fight that I have the hardest time in the entire card trying to make a pick on because Battle's a decent striker, but he's really long at the end of his punch. You got some thorough notes to your right. Where, who is this? Is something I know that's not in them. Who was the last Ultimate Fighter winner who really knocked your socks off and you thought, wow, this is a person who not only could go on to have a successful career, but get into the rankings, challenge for a title one day? I'm genuinely curious. Uh, it's been a minute. No, no, no. Like now, Muhammad Usman's going to win this weekend and go on a run. We have two-time Ultimate Fighter winner Bracketone out of Canada. Continues to look better. Do you think Bracketone is going to go or, on a run? Be honest. If I'm not mistaken, we're at the Ultimate Fighter 31 five Ultimate Fighters ago. A new champion was crowned, Nico Montano. Nico Montano. Oh, a fighter who didn't fight after. You said you wanted to know about chance. No, no, no. I, I you. asked you who you thought would go on and have a successful future is what I asked. Zach Pound. You've taken too long is my whole entire point. My reasoning is... Kurt Holliba. Tuesday Night Contender Series has taken a lot of the really good fighters that would ultimately be on shows like The Ultimate Fighter to try to get into the UFC. And I know shows like Contender Series have their own issues, right? We talk about this quite a bit, how a lot of those fights have a huge favorite that you kind of expect to get into the UFC sooner rather than later. But still, that is a pipeline for a lot of entry-level talent to get their foot in the door and make it to the UFC, where The Ultimate Fighter does take a little bit longer, right? There's a whole tournament format. You shoot this whole reality show. This is no disrespect to Brian Battle, but in his UFC wins, we haven't learned that much more about Brian Battle. I know the Sato win was really impressive in terms of how he was able to execute, but did we learn anything new about Brian Battle? Not really. He knocked out a guy who wasn't really that young in his career. It was a beautiful finish, don't get me wrong. Treshawn Gore, not the Settled the score against Treshawn wow. Gore, though. Something that will go down in the annals of history. They finally, they, they settled it <laughs> one and one. But for Battle, his last time out, too... I think Gabe Green is the best name on his resume, don't get me wrong, but he went out there and beat him so quick that I almost not discredit the win, that sounds much too disrespectful, but I can't put a lot of stock into that win just because it's easier to beat a guy in 14 seconds than it is to beat him in 15 minutes, just in terms of we know a lot more about you after those 15 minutes, and for battle, you bring it up. He is a good striker at the outset of his reach, but he's able to keep it in a long-distance type of a fight, but AJ Fletcher's whole style is to counteract that, is to get on the inside, be that ugly fighter on the inside, 
And for Fletcher, pacing, I think, is going to be very important for this fight. He's going to come out, he's going to burn hot. I don't think he's going to change himself all of a sudden. But can he not burn everything in the tank so he at least has enough left to go out there and win either round two or three? Because that is going to be a really big question mark, especially in this matchup. Because Brian Battle likes being on the back foot. He is going to chase the finish when he is able to. But if he allows the fight to come to him, he is much more comfortable doing it that way. So I think it's going to be a fight where Battle might need to take a little while to get comfortable. But I do think he's the more well-rounded fighter, even though I just spent the last two minutes telling well, you we didn't learn a lot and about And you like everything out of both of these guys. I mean, maybe one guy works a little bit quicker than the other. Maybe Battle finds himself into a fight and then tends to rally in certain ones. And if you look at it for Battle, I mentioned it. Fought a very, very high-level competition before making it even as a pro. As an amateur, Battle, he went what? Eight and two, he fought some big time names. Cody Brundage is on this card, so a little bit of a Spider Man meme there. Beat Impica Kasanganai, PFL finalist coming up on pay per view. But for battle, again, it is weird. I mean, he does come out of Carolina Combat Sports and Fitness coach over there, Tom Ziegler, but some good training partners. I mean, if you've looked at it recently, five and two amateur, Mr. Upright Udo. Imena, and then you also have five and one pro they Jonathan Mr. Upright. Martin. And if you do consider it for Fletcher training out of Gladiators Academy, he's at a 10 inch reach disadvantage. Yeah. We'll see if Brian Battle's able to use that because sometimes he can keep fighters at the end of his punches. Sometimes Brian Battle, instead of moving away from the cage, gets backed up, realizes well, the cage is there, and then Brian Battle's stuck to it like if you hit a vape pen too many times before you went to bed been there before. Uh, this is the thing about Brian Battle, though, that does concern me, especially in a matchup like this. If he is on the back foot and he's not able to gain momentum at any point, and every time he is trying to incorporate those combinations, he's just getting stopped, not in terms of he's getting hit by big shots or taken down, but he's just not able to complete a lot of those combinations. I think it's going to be a difficult night for him, but this is a fight where Battle, I think, does have the higher ceiling in terms of where both these fighters could go in the future. I think Brian Battle, at the highest level, could probably be one of those fighters who's in that, like, 16 to 22 category, just to where he might not make it into the rankings, but he could be a difficult fight for anybody in the rankings. Whereas, for Fletcher, it just comes down to who his opponent is going to be, for who he's going to be able to go out there and get those wins against. Because if you're any fighter who's kind of at the end of their career, you might have poor striking defense, you're not as durable as you once were, you don't want to fight AJ Fletcher. And that's a position I could see him getting himself into. And Fletcher's got good takedowns in his own right yeah. as well. So look out for that for Fletcher. Battle favorite in the matchup. We have a look over on Topology, Matt. These voters, man. I'm going to say over under 75% battle. I think it'll be under, honestly. Close favorites and no. No. 775 total votes. 93% battle. 59% by knockout for the folks that only watched the Sato fight and the fight against Gabe Green. For the 7% that have Fletcher, 61% by decision. Matt, I'm at 6347 personally. MMA in 2023. This is a main card fight of a fight night. I don't hate this fight. Like, just in terms of entertainment value, like, is this fight going to be the greatest fight of all time? No. But they match up well. One guy needs to move forward, throws big power shots. The other guy can get hit by big power shots and has the susceptibility of moving backwards. Like, I just think both guys, it's going to be a fun fight. I don't think this will be a bad fight by any stretch of the imagination. And not that Battle or Fletcher are going to go on to beat, like, I don't know, who's a good fighter at the top. Colby Covington one day or Gilbert Burns or whoever. Name your top 15 welterweight. But I do think Brian Battle has more components to his game. And I think he has more areas to win this one. If he won by decision, I wouldn't be surprised. If he got a finish, I think both guys 
guys could probably win by finish, don't get me wrong, but if Battle got one, I wouldn't be surprised either. And even though Gabe Green, we didn't learn a lot in that performance, still a good game to have on your resume, I think. So you can't discredit it completely. I like Battle in the fact that if he does get taken down, Fakr Dinov, that guy's an MF-er when it does come down to the fight in the good. grappling. For Brian Battle, though, in the majority of his fights, he's able to get out of some of those nasty positions. But when you're handcuffing a guy with your opposite hand and then punching him with the There's other one, a man can do. it's tough to do there. So for me, I do have Battle in the matchup. I've given you kind of the synopsis on both guys, how one guy could win, how the other guy could lose, and vice versa. So you make your own approximations on this one, and make sure you let us know down below in the comment section who you have. Both of us going with Brian Battle to get the win. It was formerly Pooh Bear, and then he opted for the Butcher. That's aggressive. I think Pooh Bear is way better. You don't? I think Pooh Bear is fun. You always talk about how if you had a walkout song, it would be like Janet Jackson, okay? Calm down. Have some fun. Let the man walk out to Pooh Bear. I'd walk out to Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot. That so you've changed it. That's my whole point. I just mean, if a guy wants... MMA is a sport devoid of fun, right? Everybody's just like calling each other bad names, being real angry all the time. Pooh Bear is a J fun nickname. JMMA is where it's at. And if you watch like the Deep Jewels and the Risings of the World, they know how to get down and have some fun. Matt, we'll move it forward. Some big time fights that are left on this card. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. A 2021 main event at Flyweight, remixed to 2023 at Strawweight in the three-rounder. Matt, we have Marina Rodriguez taking on Michelle Watterson Gomez for a second time. And when you go back and you watch that original matchup, a 48-47, is a good fourth round for Watterson Gomez. She was able to, midway through the round, pressure the pace, get the underhook, just one of them, trip takedown. And once she got on top of Marina Rodriguez... Oh boy, Rodriguez was completely lost and started to strike off her back because that's all she had. Watterson Gomez didn't have the same success in the fifth round, but she was more aggressive in that round as well. So fun rewatch there. But when you look at what's happened to both these women since that fight, Rodriguez goes on to have a fight in the night against Mackenzie Dern, controversially beats Yan Nan, and then it's been two losses since for Rodriguez. She loses to Amanda Lamos by knockout. She loses to Vina Janjidoba. And she got taken down and rinse and repeated in that fight. So, Matt, when it comes down to it, Rodriguez, the last two fights, she was tentative on the outside against Lemos. She couldn't get her striking going. She couldn't do much of anything against Shanji Doba. For Michelle Watterson Gomez, she's fought twice. Not as many times, so half as many. She loses in a fight. And, yes, it was a loss against Amanda Lemos by submission. But turns out, other than title fights, Amanda Lemos is pretty good. Other than fighting Jessica Andrade. And then, for Watterson Gomez, her last time out. She takes on Luana Pinedo. Matt, in that fight, majority scored that fight out there. Not the judges. Majority. For Michelle Watterson Gomez, round two, round three. And if you watch it, the first round, Pinedo, Pinedo has a lot of success. But Watterson Gomez, I mean, the sidekick to the leg and the sidekick to the body, they took great effect against Pinedo. And even in the fifth round of the fight that Watterson Gomez had with Rodriguez, the sidekick, she hits a kick to the face to Rodriguez and one to the body in quick succession. I might have mixed the two up. But you had a big, like, welt to Rodriguez's jaw, and she was moving a little bit differently as that fifth round went on. So, I know Watterson Gomez, former Adamweight champ with Invicta. She she had a crazy story career. She's got, what, 1.6 million Instagram followers. She's the A-side in this fight, even in the I'm rematch. So, I, let me quote John Cena here real quick. 
Fine speech. You've really set this up for Watterson Gomez to go out there and have this swan song of a performance to her head. She's gonna go out there and right the wrongs of her past and have a much more complete performance. Tell you right now, I think Marina Rodriguez wins this fight, and this is why. I know you have brought out reasons how Rodriguez has lost a previous couple of matchups. Against Lamosh, you have to be tentative against her. Guess what? Everybody has to be because she is a one-of-one -one puncher in this division. And against Vina, Vina's really well-rounded and has great wrestling, and it's not wrestling from a clinch position, right, that we see a lot in women's MMA. It's single legs, it's double legs, it is chain wrestling, and the types of wrestling that don't allow you to create that space. You brought it up yourself, too. When Waters and Gomez is able to get takedowns. It really is a lot of those body trips and upper body takedowns, and yes, she is very good at those, but Marina Rodriguez does a good job of digging underhooks. I know she's not always able to complete all of her takedown defense, but she can at least defend takedowns for people who shoot more traditional uh, types of wrestling attacks, whereas Gomez does go for a lot more of those judo-type throws, and if she is trying to use her hands to get into clinch and not focus defensively, I think she's going to need a lot of shots getting into that range, because Gomez does do a good job with those side kicks and front kicks at her long distance, but every time I've with the Karate Hottie, the Karate Hottie, her stand-up's so good. There have been a number of fighters at this stage of her career that have been able to have success against her on the feet, because if you crowd that distance and get rid of not only her footwork, but her ability to throw some of those longer distance push kicks from that side stance, it does eliminate a lot of the offense from the outside, because yes, she can throw boxing combinations, don't get me wrong, but the boxing doesn't have a tremendous amount of power behind it, and if she does get into a slugfest with a fighter like Rodriguez, okay, Rodriguez came up short against Lemos, you've got me, my bad. But I don't they think Watterson Gomez... I, I know, I just mean in terms of TKO. I don't think Watterson Gomez is going to be able to throw hands with someone like Rodriguez, who might not be a, a TKO artist, a knockout artist, but she's definitely a damaging striker at the very least. Yeah, I mean, a fight of the night against Mackenzie Dern, as I mentioned, that, what was it, second round? That was the one that was kind of chintzy. Dern looking for the submission in that one. But by and large, Rodriguez had some good success with the striking. But for Rodriguez, coming in off Contender Series, yes, Contender Series, against, uh, what was it, what? What is her nickname? Spider Girl? Old Spider Girl what from down in Brazil as well. The No Moss Knockout or TKO win. When you look at it for Marina Rodriguez and, and for Michelle Watterson Gomez, Rodriguez, the wave of success, she had the draws, which were kind of odd. Takedown defense, it was yeah, always an issue. Again, Carla Esparza, the Random Marcos fight, uh, Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Lamos, who ended up getting a win, a finish win. For Michelle Watterson Gomez, the last win, a split decision in a main event against Angela Hill. That was a meaningful amount of time ago. But for Watterson Gomez, again, 18 and 11, you get there somehow, some way, and it's with fights like this. So when you do like look at it... Back. Gonna make it a wrap and not a rat now. Before that, 2019 for Watterson Gomez against Kovalkiewicz, Herrig, and Courtney Casey. Courtney Casey. Who would Chad Kroger pick in this fight? Chad Kroger? Uh, he'd take the under on the haircut, just getting rid of the ramen noodle for the, short, for the short for the short spike. Matt, in this one, Rodriguez, a pretty darn big favorite, more than a favorite now than she was in the original matchup. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprised us there to you, but no, they're not, because these votes are crazy. I'm going to say over under 90% Rodriguez. How about that? Over. How about that? Over? over. Well, this is the thing, and this is why I don't get surprised by the votes, just because... Every vote's 100% one way or the other. It's not like people are saying, well, no, it's just, it's not like people are saying, oh, I'm 60-40 this way. So every time somebody votes, it's just going to be that. So, okay, if you just ask somebody up front, who do you think's going to win, Watterson, Gomez, or Rodriguez? The majority of people, 93 out of 100, I'd probably say, are going to say Rodriguez.
Maddox I just, you always get very surprised by the votes where it never really surprises me. You're making because... it seem like I'm Steve Brule and I don't understand what the consequences are of a single decision. So when you do look at this one, Matt... <laughs> it's 90... always very off-put by these and I, I never understand why. 93% of the fans going Rodriguez, 85% by decision. For the 7% that have Waters and Gomez, 73% by decision. I have Rodriguez in the matchup. I mean, backs against the wall and when she comes out firing with her striking, she can typically get the win you don't see a lot of boxers beat a lot of sidewinding kickers like michelle waters gomez but again the reach advantage of rodriguez the Anthony muay thai is like where's wonder boy find him again yeah exactly i'm gonna go with marina rodriguez in the rematch i got marina rodriguez and it's no disrespect to waters and gomez and you might even look at the ages and think wow they are quite similar in ages so maybe they do have a similar amount left in the tank i said for waters and gomez she has spent a lot of time she, fighting at the highest she, level she looked really good against an up-and-coming prospect in pinedo her last time out but that's the big difference like you had a close fight that could have gone either way with an up-and-coming prospect. Rodriguez fought Vina, who's really good and has been around the rankings for a very long time, basically her whole entire career, and lost to Lemo. She was the number one contender. Like, if she fought Pinejo, she'd beat the brakes off her. So, I, I think Waterson Gomez has the skills to win. I just don't know if she's going to be able to go out there and enforce them. So, for that reason, I have Rodriguez. We will see who gets the win. Both of us going with Brazil's Marina Rodriguez to get it done. Matt, co-main event. It's awesome. It could be a main event. Great if fun. Dan Ige taking on Bryce Mitchell, that's coming up next. Make sure you check that out. You toss a like on the way out and keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Big time banger in the co-main event coming up this weekend. It's number 10 versus number 12. Thug Nasty Bryce Mitchell taking on 50K Dan Ige, a resurgent Dan Ige, who was on a bit of a dry spell, but his last two times out, finishing Action Jackson, knocking him out. And by goodness, by golly, by Jeeps, did he ever nearly finish old Nate the Train Landwehr. And a lot of fans are Landwehr fans. And he wasn't able to get it done in that one. Matt Ige looked really good in that matchup. And for Bryce Mitchell, again, nothing but winning since losing to Brad Katona in the Ultimate Fighter. Two-time Ultimate Fighter winner Brad Katona. Mitchell starts off by beating Tyler Diamond. It's off to the races. And from close fights when he entered the UFC, being more or less a grappler, Bryce Mitchell adding a little bit more striking to his back pocket, training in California. You see him with Rafael Cordero a little bit. But, of course, everybody's going to remember dropping Edson Barboza in real life with a punch in tight. That really did happen for Bryce Mitchell. Mitchell, but his last time out, when he withstood a little bit of adversity against Ilya Topuria, the, little the wheels, the, yeah, but the wheels, they really did fall off More for Mitchell. More than a little now, bit of adversity, though. For Mitchell, he was originally supposed to take a fight not that long ago, earlier on this year, against JSP, Jonathan Pierce. And then it was to be Mavzar Ivloyev, that one at UFC 288. The fight fell out. Bryce Mitchell had an injury. And I'll throw up a little bit of an article there from MMA Junkie quoting the Instagram post from Bryce Mitchell. But it seemed like he kind of referenced the disc issue in his back earlier on this year. So hopefully that's all healed up for Mitchell. Because when Mitchell is on with his takedowns, I mean, we all remember 10-8s abound against Charles Rosa, not even getting the submission synced up. The win over Matt Sales by Twister. There's only a few of them in the UFC. Mitchell, Damon Blackshear, and the Korean Zombie was able to beat Dan Ige. So, Matt, I know you're really excited about this fight. fight. One guy is a quick 
timely striker out of Extreme Tour, and one guy, again, lights out jiu-jitsu at a Westside MMA in Arkansas. What I really like about this fight is that it's Bryce Mitchell's opportunity to prove that he has everything that Dan Ige has already proven that he does have, right? Because you bring it up. Ige has fought a lot of the fighters in the rankings at this stage of his career, and I know he hasn't always been able to go out there and beat everybody, but he is so well-rounded at this stage of his career that, hey, it's not like, hey, you're such a good wrestler, you're just gonna wash him with the grappling, or you're such a talented striker, you just completely wash him on the feet, because he does have a lot of different layers to his game. Whereas for Bryce Mitchell, he is trying to become more than just that grappler like you had mentioned. That was the thing that not only got him to the dance, but had him fairly hyped up upon his entry and rise throughout the UFC. But against Tapuria, he did get hurt, especially earlier on in that matchup. And those were by primarily looping shots, which is what I am going to be watching out for with the Dan Ige. Because Ige, with a lot of his more powerful strikes, is a more up-the-middle kind of guy. So he knocked out Gavin Tucker, of course, that beautiful straight right earlier on in that matchup. But he can throw looping shots around the guard as well. And that's something that I think will take time for him to gauge as this fight continues but that's where I think this fight's gonna be really important if Bryce Mitchell he might have to go for a lot of takedowns to finally be able to get one right I don't think he can outstrike Danny Gay on the outside I think he can have some success don't get me wrong just with his jab and with his longer distance he moves his feet quite well too I'd say for a guy who's primarily a grappler I know he's not someone who's gonna kick a lot but <laughs> for, for a guy who shows up to the photographs wearing kickers just well yeah like you wouldn't think boots. he's light on his feet but Cowboy he's probably boots. someone like you know the dance music starts playing he's surprisingly light he starts doing flips i speak for bryce mitchell he is a little bit awkward with his striking he's got very upright hands holds his feet quite close together but he does a decent job moving in and out when he's not caught up against the cage and his striking has continued to improve my real question is can he avoid the bigger shots of danny gay before he is able to secure some of those takedowns because he gets the more complete fighter no doubt in my mind i think he's the better maybe even offensive wrestler if i'm being honest because he does have good takedowns, but I don't think Ige can defensively grapple with a guy like Bryce Mitchell, and that's why this fight is so important. Ige's going to have to do a lot of work on the feet, I believe, if he is getting taken down a couple of times, because I think the work that uh, Bryce Mitchell's able to do on the mat will be able to counteract minutes of control and success that Dan Ige might have on the feet if he's not able to get and knocked down. You look at it for Ige, and I'm going to pick four of his losses in the UFC, because there's five of them. You look at the Calvin Cater main event, and that Some one's a little bit of a wash. The, song, the wash. the Song Yudong fight where Yudong, or Song Yudong, jumping G. Chan Sung Jung, where the Korean zombie was able to work in the wrestling with his striking and get it done. Dan Ige going out against Josh Emmett, getting dropped by an overhand right early, rallying through the first round and having an ultimately competitive fight against Emmett, the eventual title challenger for the interim belt against Yair Rodriguez. And against Mavzari Vloyev, it was a wash in the wrestling. But I would hazard a guess... Forget about the Diego Lopez fight. I would think that Evloyev would have a competitive fight with Bryce Mitchell. In fact, I thought Evloyev would have beaten Bryce Mitchell in their matchup if we go back earlier on to this year. But when it does come down to this matchup, Matt, Ige, the other loss, Julio Arce. Tricky boxing southpaw, and that was in their respective UFC debuts, UFC 220 in Boston. When it does come down to this one, you bring it up. I mean, the looping shots for Ige... End of the first round, less than 15 seconds left against Nate Landwehr, who does that high guard walk forward. Big left hook, all the way across the cage, into the cage, and if the cage wasn't there, Landwehr would have been a knockdown. And then you look at it in the second round, and there was another big left hook, and that was a knockdown as well. Danny Gay, the hand speed, the boxing, to the head, to the body. Not a big kicker. Both these guys, again, we talk about Edson Barboza wins, but Bryce Mitchell did it in impressive fashion. I didn't think Danny, Danny Gay, Gay did him. 
I was at a camp watching that fight in the middle of the wilderness, and I thought, jumpins. I, I don't think Danny gets How do you get fight. dropped in, like, every round and somehow still win the decision? That's my yeah. question. Well, we will see what we get out of this matchup, Matt. But, again, Bryce Mitchell, return from injury. We'll see how it plays out for him, for Danny Ige, riding another wave of success. Ige's the underdog. Bryce Mitchell, slight favorite, minus 160. We have a look at the fan vote, Matt. One guy's a massive fan favorite. One guy... Had like a pop. Danny Gay's had a lot of main event spots though, so he has been in the forefront for a while. I know it's been yeah, a yeah, but he's while. been the B side of every main event spot. How many main events has Bryce Mitchell? How many posters has Bryce Mitchell been on? Perfect. I bet there's a lot more people in their bedroom that have Bryce Mitchell posters, and it's probably by the dozen, not by the hundred. But Matt, we look at the topology votes. I'm gonna say over under seventy percent Mitchell. <laughs> Farmer's rails. Almanac. Bryce I'll Mitchell. Say under. Uh, you're going to say under, oh, look at that, 850 total votes, 72% Mitchell, 74% by decision for the 28% that I have Danny gave, 53% by decision, 40% by knockout. I said Farmer's Almanac, I don't mean that as a joke, but for Bryce Mitchell, this guy's got a very interesting life outside of MMA, like raising his own, uh, livestock, planting his own, uh, fruits and vegetables. If you like meat, the last thing you should ever do is meet a cow. Because they're surprisingly sweet. They are, but for Bryce Mitchell, I I like watching that type of content. Like the 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 naturalists among us, the the folks that do the hunting and the fishing. I like watching that. And stuff. love it every day. Yeah, hunt and fish and love it every day. I can do a pretty good Luke Bryan impression too. Maybe I'll break that one out on this episode. I set you up perfectly for, for me. You just told I'm gonna us about be going with uh, with Danny Gay to get the win in this match. I think the striking is gonna carry him to a win. I think he's a little bit quicker on the feet. I made such a big inhale there that I couldn't let it out. Here's the thing. Everything about me picking fights on this channel suggests that I should pick Danny Gay. I do think he's the more well-rounded fighter. He has more five-round experience to where, not that I think that matters in this type of three-round atmosphere, but just that I have confidence in his gas tank, right? I know he can stay well for 25 minutes. I think he's going to get controlled on the mat, though, for at least two rounds. And for that reason, I think Bryce Mitchell's going to have success. It might look ugly on the feet while he is accepting some shots from Danny Gay, but I think at a certain point, he's going to be able to secure the takedown. And if he gets on top of Ige, I don't think he can grapple with him. You talked at two speed there, maybe even 10 speed. Matt going with Bryce Mitchell to get the win. I'm going to be saying M-O-V-E. I like the way, I like the way Danny Gay moves on the feet. I'm going to go with Danny Gay to get the win in this one. the frog entered the chat. Split on the pick. The Luke Bryan out of the back pocket. Normally, that only comes out, out of the back pocket. Decided. We told people 45 seconds ago it was That's probably the one that up. I don't do on command, and I did it for thousands in attendance. Matt, we're split on the pick in this one. Let us know who you have in the fight. The main event, Fizzy versus Gamrot, Striker versus Grappler, a fight going back to the first UFC. I mean, Ken Shamrock taking on Hoist Gracie. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. And it's finally time, a big time main event on this card, we have Raphael Faziv taking on one Matouj Gamrat. As always, one half of your hosting duo, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, your right, respective socials, Matt Allen FNP. And people can get up about this fight. This is a poster-style type of fight between one of the best strikers that you're going to find at lightweight against a guy who seems to get dropped in every fight. But by golly, by gosh, is he ever a good grappler? It's a former two-division KSW champ. We're talking about Matouj Gamrat. Matt... This is one of those fights that if you're watching it at a bar, 
you're going to need a little bit of like a Sean McVay holder for one of your friends. Because one of your friends is going to get loud, he's going to get rowdy, and somebody's going to have to grasp the small of his back and hold him back so he doesn't just upset beers and get way too excited for no good reason between Gamrot and Fazeev. Now, Matt, when I look at this fight... Fazeev, his last time out, a loss to eventual BMF champ Justin Gaethje. Majority decision loss. The judges were all over the place in wow. scoring the particular rounds for that one. But was it a 10-8 in the third for Gaethje? Well, one of the judges scored it that way. And for Mateusz Gamrot, his last time out, one of those classic Gamrot-style fights. A split decision win over Jalen Turner. He gets popped by a little right hand in tight in the first round. So much so that the commentary doesn't even notice it. He gets popped by that. He drops down and he turns... Turns that knockdown to a whoop see do and then he gets a takedown off and you bring it up Gamron has been hurt in a lot of his fights but I I was thinking about this earlier there was always a fighter that you wanted a potential opponent of Khabib to fight on his way up the rankings who was that opponent you wanted anybody to fight before they fought Khabib Tony Ferguson? Kevin Lee. Oh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is going to somewhat test you on the feet, right? He's a powerful striker, but somewhat incomplete with his striking. But he's a phenomenal wrestler, really good grappler, too. So any potential title challenger out there who could, you know, maybe realistically fight Habib one day, I always wanted them to fight Kevin Lee because it was a great precursor before you got to that title shot. Matos Gamrot is my new Kevin Lee for this division, and some people might think that's a shot at Gamrot, but I do not mean it that way in the slightest, because Gamrot does have a great wealth of MMA, not only experience, but knowledge as well. You bring it up. He is a good grappler, a great wrestler, but it's not like he's a zero on the feet, right? He's a powerful striker. He can get ugly when the fight needs to get ugly, and he's a good technical boxer from the outside when he really wants to be. But the thing about Gamrot is, the wrestling and the grappling, along with the cardio, has reached a level, or just at a level now, to where any fighter who is making their way through the rankings. Well, before they fight Islam, I want them to fight Matoush just because I do think it is a great kind of he is the Charmander to Islam's Charizard, if you will. I just think it's a great first step if you do ever envision a fighter potentially getting to a title. Well, shot. and I, even in making the mistake, you look at the Gamrot fight against Jalen Turner. A southpaw, it was a short left hand that drops Gamrot, not a right. He drops down, he ends up into a takedown. And good wherewithal from Turner, even when he got taken out, he was trying to push himself he back was, up, trying to be really get active. back up. And Gamrot, you know him, 2014, 2019, ADCC European champ, continues to go with what got him to the dance, a freestyle wrestling background is what Gamrot has. He still trains with all of the big names out of Poland. You see that at the beginning of his camp, but Boris Mankowski also still making the trek with him to American Top Team to get in some of that good quality training against some of the best in the world. And it's always fun to go, that's where American Top Team is, and that's where Killcliffe FC is, and they're very, very close together. Fazeev, you know the story. I mean, the kickboxing lineage, the alleged... And I say alleged because I'm sure there's other numbers, but 39 and 8 in kickboxing. But the striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai trains out of Killcliffe FC with the one and only Nick Lentz. He's going to be working those guillotines for old Fazeev in the wrestling room. But when I look at this fight, Matt, the reason why I made the mistake with Jalen Turner, right hand, left hand, I went back and watched so much tape on Matoush Gamrod to get ready for this one. I said, listen, let's put the specs on and let's get excited. I got specs here somewhere. There we go. You know me as the prop king of MMA. Let's put them on. I put the specs on. The self-appointed prop king of MMA. (laughs) On the throne he sits. Wow, we'll see. But when I looked at it for Gamrod, the reason I made the mistake, I went back and watched his fight against Mansoor Barnali. And I know Mansoor didn't win his last fight with Bellator. He was thought... No, but he was thought to at least go out there and maybe 
maybe even win the title over with Bellator in the comeback in MMA because he had a lot of a long time off. Do you know what Rafa would do to Brent Primus? Gamrot in that fight. Gamrot's striking was non-existent. He had great wrestling, great scrambles, but Mansoor walks him down with his hands about here, throws the right hand. Gamrot's just there to be hit. He gets dropped. He bounces back up. And same exact thing. He gets himself into a scramble position and ends up on top. So going back and watching the Gamrot fights, his knockdown ratio just in the UFC is 1-4 to 4 against. You remember the Hot Sauce Holtzman performance in the night bonus. You remember the Jeremy Stevens finish that was done pretty quickly. You remember the fight against Armin Zerukian where he gets dropped by a spinning backfist. Or Guram Kataladze where he get hits, gets hit by an overhand. Or against Benil Dariush who once it gets in tight, he eats a complete overhand left. One of the cleanest non-knockout strikes you will ever see. And then Gamrot's back into it. So in this matchup, Matt, I mean, for Fazeev, we haven't touched on it. His last win... He's only got power from one side, of course. He is known as the Jalen Brown. Oh, wait, sorry. My sources are telling me Fazeev can throw from both stances. Fazeev, his last win, a main event. It's a free fight out there on the UFC's YouTube channel. One of the greatest grapplers in lightweight and somewhat welterweight history, Rafael Dos Anjos. And in that one, he was able to defend, what was it, 14 of 16 Dos Anjos attempts. Walks him down at the end of that fight, gets the win. Fazib Matt, I mean, apart from the two losses, one in a UFC debut that most people forget about. An all-time spinning-ish, I guess they say type of fighter a coconut head before it's been popular once again Adrian Brody's like excuse me you take that back you look at Joe Burrow now and then you look at Magomed Mustafaev what a bad quarterback of an 0-2 team Mustafaev ran so Joey B could walk but Mustafaev finishes Fazeev he wins a ton of fights in a row and the craziest stat for Fazeev that jumps off a page his last six fights all bonus worthy all bonus worthy this is a weird way to break down this fight. But maybe I'm looking too much into the knockdown ratio that Gamrot has. Because you bring it up. He has been dropped a lot more times than he's going out and getting the knockdowns. Even though I don't really care about the knockdowns for as much as the knockdowns against. Fazeev stays tough. Like, if the going gets tough, I know Fazeev is still going to be in the fight, right? If he gets submitted, that's a different story. The fight's over. There's nothing you can do. But unless he gets knocked out or submitted or brought to the level of exhaustion where he just can't respond with powerful shots, I think he's always going to have an opportunity to win this fight. Like, Gamrot has to mind his P's and Q's so much more than Fazeev does. Because if Rafael gets taken down a few times, yes, he's going to be out of threat not only at the ground and pound, but the submissions. But he's going to get another round and another opportunity to get back up to his feet and have that striking advantage that I do think he's going to have in this fight, whereas Gambrot has to avoid those big shots over and over and over again. And if Armin Sarukian can drop you with a spinning back fist, Raphael Vazir is one of the better in-combination strikers we have seen. And I do think Gamrot's going to be able to avoid the initial big shot. But if Vazir does what he did against, like, Moikano is always a great example. Because he goes head, body, head, and the fight is over. There is no second guesses from Moikano. If he fights like that version to where he's moving forward, he's confident, and he's throwing in combination, I don't think Gamrot's durability can hold up against those type of power Well, shots. and you look at it for Gamrot. He's had great fights in the UFC, don't get oh, me wrong. Sure. Again, more bonuses. Uh, Holtzman, Stevens, fighting the night against Guram and Armin. Zerukian. But for Gamrot, you go back and watch those KSW fights. The three fights against Norman Park. The third one, he is boxing Norman Park. I'd say he's boxing his ears in. He's boxing his right eye up to the point that it ends up in the third round. And if I could do a little bit of a Northern Ireland type of accent to it. Please do. You see the doctor come in. You see Norman Park go, ah, And then it's the end of the fight. The doctor ends it. His eye is swollen so bad. And Gamrot, again, from Barnaoui, from the early fights with KSW, to beating Park in the third fight, to then a month later fighting Marin Shilkowski, 
who was the KSW lightweight champ after Gamrot left. Unfortunately, injuries have kind of derailed Jokowski now, and Paul Nass has been able to carry that torch once more. But when I do look at this fight, Matt, again, Gamrot, even when he gets hurt, He's not out of any of these fights. And for Fazeev, the takedown defense has been really, really good in the UFC. He's been able to defend and defend and defend some more. So when we do look at this one, Matt, Fazeev, he is slightly favored in the matchup. And these main events, we don't throw it over to Topology. We throw it out to you guys. And I threw it out late this afternoon. I think there's been quite a few votes. I'll I'll load it up a little bit more as we go along. 69% going with Rafael Fazeev to get the win. In the comments section, Matt, Eric Axel's out there every time. This might be one of the rare fights where a three-rounder would be more interesting. Gamrod has a better gas tank and will likely bank enough the five rounds to win a grinding decision. Moro, one of my fave upcoming fights by far. You know what? I'm down on some of the prelims. But this is a great main event. I'm excited about this one. I actually look forward to doing the tape study to this versus Tamiris Vidal. Montserrat Rendon. That's a real fight. Crazy Pato saying, I have to lean towards Gamrot. His chain wrestling will make Fazeev hesitant or hesitate with his striking, while his high-paced grappling style will drain Fazeev's gas tank faster. And everybody's going to point to the Bobby Green fight of the gas tank evading Fazeev in the third round of that one. And we'll go with one more. Drew Jen saying, Fazeev will have no answers for Gamrot's Matt game. So Matt, as is the usual... The commenters who are the loudest have the underdog in the matchup, whereas the masses going with the other fighter being Fazeev. But I'm eager to get your thoughts on some of those comments and what you think about the fight. I'm surprised so many people do have Gamera just because we have seen him susceptible to the big shot from far lesser strikers than a Raphael Fazeev. And like, if Fazeev fought Norman Park, I'm just going to make that face. I don't really think I need to say anything more. It was more. quite a while ago, though. He beat him, though, pretty soundly, is all I'm trying to say. My point is, for Gamrot. He had a lot of difficult fights before he made it to the UFC. And this is a talking point for even Justin Gaethje before he made it. It was, hey, how much of himself did he spend before he made it to the UFC? And uh, you don't want to say, you know, a lesser promotion because World Series of Fighting when Gaethje was there at KSW Rice, right now. There's good fighters in those Blagoy organizations. Ivanov. There are high-level professional MMA organizations. But for Gamrot, he accepted a lot of damage on that, that scene in KSW. And he's continued to accept it on the biggest show in the UFC. And he hasn't made those adjustments. Even in the wins, we're still seeing him getting clipped by shots. And that's why I bring it up. This is a fight where Gambrot could win 24 and a half minutes of it. And I would still be a little bit worried that Fazeev could land that big shot as it goes down the stretch. Because Fazeev in the RDA fight, like you bring up, like I know he's had some cardio issues in his fights, but I always bring up pacing a lot more than cardio because I believe pacing is a bigger issue for fighters than just pure cardio is. Do I mean, you a think... lot of professional athletes can go out there and throw just 100 significant strikes, for instance, in a three, five round atmosphere, right? Like you're a professional athlete, you could pay to do this you should probably be able to but fighters do have a problem with burning very hot in that first round and just being a lesser version of himself in round two and round three and for Fazeev I think he firmly falls into that category we do have enough evidence now to where hey he's got big power in round three four and five I don't think he's gonna be a fighter that only has a few takedowns to defend before he becomes a lesser version of himself I'm gonna take a big deep breath to give my prediction I have Rafael Fazeev. I think this is a phenomenal fight, and it's one of those great fights that I always enjoy because you wonder how many more opportunities both guys are going to get fighting guys in that top 10 before they kind of just get resulted in, hey, you're fighting guys in the up and up more than you're trying to fight your own way up the rankings. So it's an important fight for both fighters. I think we're going to get the best version of both athletes, but I just think Fazeev's a little bit more lethal with the strikes. Historically, I picked against Fazeev. I think of the Moicano fight, and historically, I picked Matouche Gamrat to win fights. I talked up Gamrat on the way into the UFC with Fazeev, I wasn't sold, and then I wasn't sold against Mustafaev, and it just left a bad taste in my mouth, and that's just a part of being human, I guess. But when I do look at this matchup, Matt, for Fazeev, 
The possible 10-8. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the 10-8 was a lot scored of clean shots in that third by round. Paul Sutherland. He said that was a 10-8 in the third round. Colette scored round two, round three. Gaethje, Werner scored round one, round three for Gaethje. And Sutherland scored round one, round two for Fazeev. So kind of all over the place with the way that the rounds were scored in that matchup. But for Fazeev, again, you go back. Is Dos Anjos over the hill? I don't know. I thought he looked good against Moicano in an abbreviated 160-pound catchweight main event. I sure know. But... Fazeev in that one, again, defending 14 to 16 overall takedown attempts, 60% takedown defense in the UFC so far. Gamrot's the guy that's going to test that. Awesome endurance, great conditioning for Gamrot. For Fazeev, there's always going to be questions there, but I do ever so slightly have Rafael Fazeev in the matchup in this one. Darius next, right? Yeah, I think you do that for I think for that'd Fazeev. be a good fight, right? Yeah, Gamrot losing to Darius Fazeev. I, I think you just get to carry that one forward. Make that fight, but Matt... Some big-time fights on this card. Some ones that you can get excited about. The last three feature all six-ranked fighters on the card. You have the debut of Monster Rendon at the start of it. You got some prospects littered throughout. Ultimate Fighter 29 winner. Ultimate Fighter 30 winner. And everything in between. Only an 11-fight set as of Sunday night when we tape these. So if there's any changes to it, make sure you check it out here. Make sure you subscribe so you know that when we are about to go live, we do question mark kicks. That's typically... Two hours before the prelims. This is a card in Vegas at the Apex. Those are normally at a normal time. It's not in Australia or France or any other, you know, non-Vegas location, if you will. So the start time should be normal for that one. But as a crutch, always two hours before the prelims. You can find us at Craig Allen FNP, at Matt Allen FNP. I've done a Luke Bryan impression. I've eaten rib-flavored popcorn on this show. I've made a lot of dumb jokes. If you made, uh, you know, an effort, make sure you check out some of that stuff on your way out. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it.